Hello, this is Do Go On. I'm Matt Stewart. And I'm Taran Jayamana. And uh, we're in Sydney. And uh, we're about to be in Brisbane. And we're doing live shows. They're called Dry Dryer. And also, who knew with Matt Stewart in both those cities? And you can get details at mattstewartcomedy.com. Anything else you want to tell the good listeners that do go on, Saran? Well, the whole point of this was you thought that it might be more engaging if you had a different voice. But you've said most of the information. So, hey, come see us in Sydney and Brisbane. Yeah, that was engaging. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hello and welcome to another episode of Do Go On. My name is Dave Warnicky and as always I'm here with Jess Perkins and Matt Stewart. What? Matt Stewart is here? Yeah, he's- I am here. How good is it to be alive? Hey, my special is streaming now on the Stupid Old Channel. Okay, we didn't discuss that we would do plugs. Okay, great. When you say, what does that mean? So feel free to keep talking, but I'm going to scream over the top of it. <laughs> Please, feel free. Your stand-up comedy special. That's right. Ah! Oh, no. <laughs> Dave, you were, you were there in the recording. You actually directed the show that it was. That's right. I was the director. I was the hype man, your warm-up guy. Yeah. You can do it all. I've been doing it all. I mean, uh, the bit that I, there was, I was also a plan to the audience that got cut. That did get cut. Because my acting was so bad. No, <laughs> I, I think we, we cut it because uh, we thought that that might, might make the audience think that the real audience interaction was also Yeah, because there was a genuine one that- That was pretty wild. And way funnier. So- <laughs> Yeah, you can check it out on, on Stupid Old on Channel for free and nearly an hour of stand-up comedy from Matt Stewart. Jeez, check that's it out. good value. Gosh, that's good. Jess, you done screaming? <laughs> we turned her mic off while she screamed over that bit. <laughs> I hurt my throat. <laughs> hey, well, uh, while Jess rests her throat, maybe I'll ask Matt to explain what this show is. So, how it works is uh, the three of us come into a room. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Not going to a bed. Except started. one time we... Twice we did episodes on a beach in Thailand. Yeah, that's true. All right. So, it's not always in a room. It's nearly always. All right. Forget it. And it's not always just the three of us. But anyway, forget about that. Usually, the three of us get together somewhere and uh, one of us has gone Unless away. Unless we do it remotely. Yeah, Unless, we do it. Yes, Unless there's true. a pandemic that affects two episodes of the show. Two years of episodes of the show. Okay. So, that also can happen. But so, some, somehow, either in the same place or, or virtually, the three of us will come together or others as well. <laughs> And uh, one of us will have gone away and researched a topic, written up a bit of a an old school report, you know, like you're doing a high school oral presentation. Absolutely. And then they'll bring it back. The the topic's usually decided on, uh, suggested by a listener. <laughs> 
and then uh, they bring it back and tell the other two. And the other two, like, let's be honest, interrupt and be quite tedious and annoying and, and go on riffs and stuff. But we, you know, we're trying to have fun. That's right. They bring the lightness. <laughs> the Oft- lightness. The lightness often. Oh, that's yeah. beautifully put. And the comfortability. Mm. <sighs> and we usually start with a question. Oh, yeah, that's the yeah, that's the other thing. Now, this week, uh, it's a bit of a special episode. For only the third time ever, we've gone with a part two. So, my question very openly is, what was last week's episode? Do you Munich, remember? Oh, it could be anybody. The 1972 Olympics Munich uh, massacre. Correct. Last week, we spoke about the 1972 Munich Olympics and- You fucking nerd. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, teacher, I know the answer. Uh, let uh, me just go to my notes. Uh, Dave, Dave, love me. Pathetic. Yeah. My favourite is Jess in this class. Yes! Because oh, no. she doesn't want my love. <laughs> I don't care. I'm aloof. I'm not doing it for your love, Dave. I'm doing it because I still imagine that guy is keeping yep. score. He hasn't contacted us in a long time. Yeah, he has. Oh, yeah. has he? Do you check the emails? Oh, no, that's a good point. <laughs> he has. Oh, oh great. great. And what are the scores at the moment? I don't know them off the top of my head, but I'm pretty sure I'm winning. Yeah, I was definitely in third place last time. Were you? Yeah. The last time I saw I was winning, but that was years ago. Yeah, right. Okay, this is, we'll course, check later. Uh, for we, Someone asks a question each week, and whoever gets the answer correct, uh, someone is keeping tabs. So, thank you so much. We appreciate your fantastic work. So, yeah, last week we talked about the 1972 Munich Olympics in the first half of the episode. It was fun. It was jovial. We talked about all the silly and interesting things that, that happened the, the mustache. game. The mustache man, Mark Spitz, the most controversial basketball game ever. Obviously, you can go back and listen to the episode if you want a bit more context. Oh, we also, so we had some feedback. It's rare because we don't normally do a part two, but- um, Yeah, we got uh, time to set the record straight on something. Uh, I was confused about the ball- been thrown in in NBA, and uh, Rick tweeted me and said, on the Munich pod, NBA players walk the dog, i.e. let the ball roll when they are up and want to run out the clock because the clock starts when the ball goes in, but the shot clock doesn't start until a player touches the ball. So then you run out more than 24 seconds. Ah, right. So it's like a a funny loophole. Right. Because you were confused as to whether the clock starts when the ball is passed in or whether it's caught or touched by another player. So one clock starts when the ball's thrown in and the other another clock starts when the ball is picked up or caught. Yeah. Yeah. Makes a lot of sense. Yeah. I like it. I like how technical uh, sport can be. Mm-hmm. It's beautiful. Part of the strategy. NFL's wild like that. It's uh, no, the whole mm. thing is the strategy, so, isn't it? Yeah, strategic and technical. Basically, I'm, lo- I'm loving it. Like a coach on the side doing mathematics to work out. <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah, amazing. They're, 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 they're doing probabilities on every play. It's wild. Anyway, Dave. Anyway, so this episode, it's it's a standalone episode. You can listen if you just want to hear this, this part too, but it, otherwise, please go back and listen to episode 379. But as a Previously on Do Go yes. On Refresher. I love a previously on, unless I'm binge watching a show and then I'm like, I know. <laughs> I just saw that. I haven't moved in four hours. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but on a podcast that, you know, we're recording a week later, I do need this. Thank you. Okay. But I, and I like how, you know, on those previously on, and then they'll play a clip from ages ago and you're like, why are you showing me that? Yeah. Obviously. It's going to be relevant. And so they're going to spoil something. Yeah, yeah. Because, like, okay, so they're going to address that. Oh, that guy's back. Is yeah. He? yeah. Why do they have to zoom in on that? Yeah. yeah. That was. Completely, you know. I love content to be spoon-fed to me. Yeah, me too. I love it. Me too, actually. Okay, so previously on Do Go On, last week we talked about the Olympics and then we talked about the massacre that also occurred at those games. Eight terrorists from the Palestinian militant group called Black September snuck into the Olympic Village and took 
11 Israeli athletes, coaches and officials hostage, two of whom were soon murdered by the terrorists in scuffles. They then demanded that 236 prisoners in Israel and around the world be released, which Israel refused. Eventually, many hours after an intense standoff, the West German government that was negotiating with the group agreed to fly them to a nearby friendly Arab nation. But the terrorists and the hostages were taken to an airport in helicopters where they were told they could board a plane. But it was all a setup for the West Germans who planned to ambush the terrorists and rescue the hostages. But after a series of incredibly terrible blunders. Oh, God. Really hope someone got fired for that. It all went horribly wrong. All of the hostages were murdered on site and six of the Palestinians were taken out by the police, leaving three terrorists alive. It was the most frustrating thing I've ever heard. Yeah. Just every single decision, everything that could go wrong did go wrong. It was just fuck up after fuck up. Oh, man. Yeah, and it was. I think you mentioned that someone was saying how you associate Germany with this precision, but it was the opposite of that. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. The absolute opposite of that. Because, yeah, it was, they just weren't prepared at all. And it was still in the aftermath of, you know, the world wars and stuff. I think they were trying so hard to be peaceful. Yes, they wanted to be they fun. They were overcorrecting. Yeah. And, yeah, like the first half of the episode last week, it was super fun and, yeah. like, you know, yeah. like they dreamed. But Friendly it was, games. It all came crashing down with this horrible event. Uh, so, I said six, five of the terrorists were taken out, leaving three alive mm-hmm. who were arrested. Now, this episode is all about the aftermath and search for some sort of justice in Operation Wrath of God. Whoa. That is a pretty badass that is operation. That's yeah, so terrifying, isn't it? <laughs> I saw- so after you. After we recorded part one, I um, saw my family that night and I was telling them about, you know, oh, here's this story. They were alive for it. So, they were like, yeah, we know. <laughs> wow. Yeah, okay. <laughs> remember- and I was like, can you believe this? They're like, yeah, we, we're alive. So, that, do they remember the, all the details and everything? Uh, not, oh, yeah, bits and pieces. But then mum told me something like a, a bit of a spoiler for this. And I was like, great. Thanks, Mum. Thanks a lot, Mum. But now I've forgotten it. Okay. Oh, so it's going to be a fun little- What's But I remember it? at the time being like, oh, Mama! <laughs> See if I cover it. <laughs> well, maybe. I won't know. <laughs> <laughs> so, the three members of Black September that survived the attack and were taken into custody were 19-year-old Muhammad Safadi, codenamed Badrin. 26-year-old Adnan Al-Gashi, codenamed Danawi. He was a nursing student who has been identified by Simon Reeve, who wrote- uh, a book on this subject in 2000 called One Day in September, same name as that uh, Academy Award winning documentary. He's identified Denawi as the man who fired his machine gun into the helicopter, killing the Israelis oh, in wow. cold blood as they were, you know, right. tied together in the helicopter. But this is debated. But in his extensive research, he says this guy, Denawi, was the one. And finally, his 19 year old cousin, Jamal Al Gashi, codenamed Samir. So that. Two 19-year-olds and a 26-year-old. Yes. They're babies. Absolutely. They are so young. Oh, my God. Super duper young. Really full on. So, those three men were arrested and were awaiting trial, but just seven weeks after the massacre, a multi-stopover Lufthansa Boeing 727 on its way from Damascus in Syria to Frankfurt in Germany was hijacked by two terrorists as it left Beirut Airport. That's in Lebanon. The pilot was told to fly to Munich and the terrorist demands were passed on to the West German government in Bonn. That's the capital of West Germany. They wanted the three Black September members released. And this time, the West German government almost immediately complied with the demands. Really? German Chancellor Willy Brandt, which is a great name. Willy Brandt. Willy Brandt. <laughs> I guess he will. 
<laughs> Sounds like he branded as the first sign of trust Absolutely. struggle. He almost immediately gave in and the three men were handed over within hours. Israel wasn't even consulted. They, wow. didn't, they didn't even let him know. Jeez. They just went, oh, okay, I, I guess this time we'll just let you have what you want. Because well, so- last time they sort of they negotiated for too long, they thought about it too much and it didn't yeah. end well. So now this time they're like, duh, somebody else's problem. Yeah. And Israel were understandably furious. Yeah. Mm-hmm. People that had- It's mer- not a good precedent to set, is it? Yeah, absolutely not. And it's, yeah, w- and not even consulting the country that seven weeks earlier had 11 of their citizens- yeah. Murdered by these three and guys. Yeah, didn't they say that? Wasn't that part of what they said the last time? We're, we can't do it because otherwise, every yeah. So Golda Meir, the prime minister at the time, said there won't be an Israeli anywhere in the world can't can't feel safe. Yeah, because this will just keep happening. Yeah, so obviously, oh, that's no good. But they were like, oh, we don't want this to be our problem anymore. So yeah. they got rid of the three. And there's actually been numerous questions over the years as to the legitimacy of the hijacking. There were only 11 passengers on board the plane, and they were all men. No women or children on board, which some people find suspicious. They well, they'd already gotten the life rafts. Yeah, in midair. Some say that the West German government, and this is a like a big theory. This isn't just a, a pretty out there conspiracy. Some say the West German government had set up the hijacking to give them the pretense to release the three jailed terrorists to avoid Black September fulfilling threats to carry out a series of bombings and hijackings whilst their members were still imprisoned. Right. So, they were like, West Germany had become a target because they had imprisoned three of their members and had had a lot of threats. So, there's theories that they had a deal with Black September with, hey, if you hijack this plane, we'll release them if you promise never to attack us again. And they get the the pilot they hate the most to make him be on that plane. (laughs) Yeah. Roger, uh, we got a job for you. We need you specifically on this plane. I know it's your day off, but it's important that you yeah. fly this we plane. We need the best, Roger. When we think of the best, we think we of think you. Roger. Roger. <laughs> they need to put their hand over the, the phone going, shut up, no, shut up. They chose Roger because he's the most confusing pilot to talk to over over the radio. Roger that, Roger. What? Yes. Come in, Roger. Yeah? Yeah. No, what? no, I say that when I've when I've heard what you've said, Roger. Roger that, Roger. What? What? <laughs> Very confusing stuff. <laughs> so, this theory has been supported by many different sources over the years that it was a bit of a conspiracy. The Guardian writes, Ulrich Wegner, then a key aide of the Interior Minister and founder of the GSG-9, German's crack counter-terrorist unit that was soon formed after this, said Bonn, the capital of West Germany, did not want to risk confronting the Palestinians after the attack on the Olympics. The West German government had already paid a large $5 million ransom to the terrorists when a Lufthansa plane was earlier hijacked. So, they're very much trying to keep them on on side and giving them whatever they want. So, the three released terrorists were allowed to board the hijacked plane with the 11 hostages still on board. When they landed in Libya, they were interviewed, basically. So, they, they landed and the 11 hostages were allowed to go. Okay. And then now the three released Munich massacre guys were safe. And when they landed in Libya, the, the three terrorists were interviewed. And you can see footage of this press conference. One of them speaks English, I believe. The rest is speaking through translators. And when asked if they felt their actions had achieved anything, one of the men replied through a translator saying, we have made our voice heard by the world. They felt that before the attack, the Palestinian plight and their cause was relatively unknown around the world. And after the Munich massacre, nearly everyone on earth had heard of Palestine and what was going on. 
the fact that there was hundreds of thousands of people in refugee camps. The incident gave new attention to the Palestinian cause. More than a million Palestinians had been refugees since Israel's creation in 1948 and the wars that followed, but global powers had been largely ignoring their plight, they claimed. But now they felt they could no longer be ignored. Right. I mean, it's, uh, yeah, how grim is it that they need to... Yeah. Feel they need to. It's awful. But it's. Carry out terrorist attacks to get attention to a, it, a, a real issue. Well, yeah. It's a classic example of that famous phrase of one man's terrorist is another man's freedom fighter. Yeah. So, like, you know, they're being condemned in most places around the world. But, like I said last week, when the bodies of their comrades were flown to Libya, they were welcomed as heroes. Yeah. Then. Unfortunately, the attack also showed that global terrorism was a great way to publicize a cause or mm. take action. Here was eight guys who had hijacked the Olympics and gotten more attention for their cause than two and a half decades of war and fighting and famine had ever done for them. Yes. So, it's- Yeah. In 24 hours. It's sort of the failings of this, the system. Yep. And, and, like, the governments around the world who should have been- Helping. Yeah. I mean, sorry to get uh, political. <laughs> I love it when you talk politics, actually. This <laughs> is sweating. The governments um, should be uh, doing stuff yeah, and uh, helping or not helping in some cases. You know what I mean. Of no, course we do. Yes, you're absolutely right. We agree. It's just funny to watch you say something that is pertinent and then panic. <laughs> I'm pa- I mean, yeah, I'm just, yeah. Realising you don't have the vocabulary to talk about yeah, something as yeah. you're trying to talk about. Oh, yeah. God, story of my life. <laughs> I have so many good thoughts. <laughs> Can't get them out. So, it was a obviously tragic, horrific, disgusting event. But other people saw this as successful for promoting their message. So, Bruce Hoffman, a senior fellow at the Council on Foreign Relations, told NPR that in 1968, about 11 international terrorist groups were operating. A few years after the Munich massacre, that number was more than 50. A large reason for that was the global attention that the attack received. That was a boon for the terrorist industry. Yeah, that's right. You know, it's copycat crimes really uh, sprung up around the world. because Just people- because, yeah, they, they to nip it in the bud... The, the, some powers needed to go. Hey, look, we're gonna go. We're gonna. Who, who needs help? Just put your hand up. <laughs> uh, and we're not gonna listen if you blow something up, okay? But we will listen if you just ask nicely. Yeah. Okay, great. And then they just go around and like, like in a classroom, rewarding the good student. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But then you know, like, uh, like they tend to do, they'll go around fucking things up worse. You know. Hey, well, let's just get involved in this thing. Yeah. Yeah. That always works out well <laughs> when uh, America and the UK and stuff get involved in stuff. Yeah. Do you think? Yeah, yeah. Oh, it's proven itself to be very effective. Yeah, we'll sort it, sort it out with absolutely zero bias. Yeah. <laughs> so, that's the global response uh, to the to the crime. Israel and Prime Minister Golda Meir was pissed. The three surviving men who had callously killed 11 of their citizens in cold blood had been released without having to answer for their crimes and- in fact, we were given a hero's welcome in Libya. That It was a real slap in the face to them mm. to see just seven weeks after the crime, they walked free and now- Cannot believe that. Oh. They treated as heroes. Do you think- What what should have happened, do you think? Would would Israel have liked to have taken them and would that have been uh, ethically sound for Israel to be like, all right, we'll, we'll keep them in our jails or something? Well, speaking of ethics, that's a- Big question throughout this whole episode. Because if Black September thought Israel was going to let them get away with it, they were dead wrong. Prime Minister Golda Meir soon invited the families of the 11 murdered Israelis to her office and told them that all of those that were involved in the massacre in Munich, quote, we will hunt them down and we will eliminate them. 
Anki Spitzer, who I spoke about last week, who's been a, a mm. big advocate for getting- Who's the swimmer? No, no that's Spitz. That's Spitz. Anki Spitzer. She was married to Andre Spitzer, who was the fencing coach who was murdered, and she's been uh, very vocal with uh, just the whole incident over the years, how it affected her and her family, but also she Oh, was- that's right. She was saying how she just wanted- the Olympics to have a, a moment silence. Yeah, that's right. She was fifty years spearheaded that yeah. campaign. Yes, and she's uh, spitzheaded it. <laughs> she's been a successful journalist in her own right over the years. She's a really impressive, well-spoken lady. But so she was one of the people in the office with Goldemir when she said, "We'll eliminate them," and she responded, "Do you mean you will assassinate them?" And Mia replied, "Whatever you like to call it." Whoa, which is um, brutal. <laughs> whatever you'd like to call it. Yeah. Okay, Wait, no, okay, it's, yeah. but assassination yeah. that has a definition. Yeah, yeah. Yes, that- no. Like, are you going to capture them and put them in jail or are you just going to kill them? What are you going to yeah, do? whatever you want to call it. Whatever you want to call it. If you want to call it capture and put them in jail, yeah. sure. No, but what yeah, are you going like, to do? Are they going to be in jail? Alive? Well, I mean, you know, huh? whatever ha- whatever terms you feel comfortable yeah. with. Yeah, <laughs> I think she just didn't want to say on the record as the Prime Minister, yeah, we're going to murder those we're people. We're going to kill them. Yeah. So, Goldemir had just greenlit Operation Wrath of God, which is such a badass name. It really is. It sounds like a very cool, very violent video game or a very cool, very violent action movie. Yeah, it does. <laughs> Wrath of God. It just, yeah, you know, there's always, someone's always going to want to get revenge. You yeah. know, you feel like, yeah, we did it. We murdered those people. Ooh, let's call it there. That's it. No, now they're going to want to get you back. Yeah, there'll be retribution. It's just going to go backwards and forwards forever. Yeah, cut to 50 years later and that is still exactly the same. I like watching, was, I watched a lot of Sopranos in the last couple of years and every time something happened, I'm like, I'm like, what a stressful life. You've just uh, taken out an opposition guy. There's going to be repercussions for this. Yeah. Yeah, I think about that too. You just never feel relaxed. Yeah. Everywhere you're going, looking over your shoulder, you're going to get whacked. Yeah, I never really feel relaxed. Okay, you're looking over your shoulder? Well, I haven't killed anyone. Oh, if, 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 if that's what you want to call it. it. <laughs> <laughs> that's how you want to say yeah. it. Whoa, 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 yeah. whoa. No one said that. I said whacked. That could mean anything. <laughs> yeah, I'm not a murderer. If that's saying, what you want to call that's, it. If that's what the- But are, are you saying that- because you don't already feel relaxed, you think you could just waltz into that life of crime and it'll just be yeah, the maybe. same. You'd feel nothing. It'd just be the same level of <laughs> just surface level anxiety. You don't feel anxious anyway. You may as well get paid highly yeah. for the mob. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So you feel the same anxiety of I might be killed at any I second? I don't know. Oh, that's a good point. You should try it. But I suppose we could all be killed at any oh, second. Why would you look at the light? Is that going to fall on us? Maybe. You sh- just did look at the ceiling. Maybe. Don't go towards the light, Dave. Oh, no. Nah, oh, but do, it feels Dave. so good. <laughs> so, it's called Operation Wrath of God. Sometimes it's also referred to as Operation Bayonet, which is also pretty badass. It's not as good, though. But no, Wrath, Wrath of, of God. God. Fantastic. And I think that is a big reason the Patreon supporters probably voted for this topic, because it was the 1972 Munich Massacre yeah. and Operation Wrath of God. People are like, hell yeah. yeah. There's a few buzzwords that are always going to get their attention. Yeah. Wrath. Murder. <laughs> wrath. <laughs> Operation. Ooh, okay. I love that stuff. Have they voted for Grapes of Wrath for book cheat, Dave? <laughs> I have done that. I've done Grapes of Wrath. What does that which mean? Which you know because you listen to every episode. I d- which one is- Is that the one with the big guy and the- No, same right. That's John Steinbeck. That's of Mice and Men. Right. Grapes of Wrath. That's- uh, I love how you knew what I was talking about when yeah, I said I d- the I one knew. with the big guy. That's yeah. of Mice and Men. Both fantastic books. Love John Steinbeck. Fantastic writer. No, Grapes of Wrath. It's a, it's a biblical quote. I think you'll find that I- did you th- uh, did you read me out? Because I suggest that in the hat. I would have. Yeah, great. I would have read you out. Did I you read probably, me out? Should I probably listen to that episode? 
Hey, you haven't listened? I've you probably would have. I probably have. Was it with a- Andy Matthews and Alistair Tromley Birchall. Oh. That was also a two-part episode because it's, it's an epically long book. But yeah, Tom Joad and his family. Heartbreaking, but beautiful story. Loved For listeners it. who don't know, Dave does a, a show about uh, classic novels where he sort of, he reads them so you don't have to. That's right. I'll tell you all about it. And uh, yeah, I find Steinbeck to be a beautiful writer. Mm-hmm. While we're plugging other things, how cool is this? Oh, no, it will have already happened. One of our early episodes was about the Triple J Hottest 100. And this week, at the time of recording, Jess is going to be hosting it. <laughs> yeah. Holy, Holy shit. Holy shit. Isn't that wild? It's tripping me out just and saying like that. And it's like seven years and a day since uh, we put out that episode. Incredible, Jess. Wild stuff. So cool. And Very cool. let's not forget that we also did a report on the Academy Awards early on. And it's only a matter of time before Jess gets that call. To host the Academy Awards. <laughs> Come on. To host. I believe you. I believe, I believe you. I believe in you. Oh, my God. No, yeah. thanks. I'll take the Academy Award. <laughs> You'll do the Logies. I'll do the Logies. Oh, my gosh. Get her in. And it's only a matter of time before we're taken out in Operation Wrath of God for talking about it on this podcast. Oh, no. Because it was and still is a controversial decision for Israel's Prime Minister to authorise what is essentially an illegal operation to hunt down and murder perpetrators in other countries, essentially giving them death sentences without any right to a trial. Yeah. Yes. Which I think other countries do, but they don't publicise it so much. Yes. And it's so controversial that Israel, they still deny that this ever happened. Oh, okay. But there is a lot of evidence to the contrary. Right. Right. Yeah. But it's not like they're, you know- The I minutes from that meeting, for example. No, that's right. They didn't go to the, to the newspaper, Operation Wrath of God has been ordered. Yeah. We're, we're not suggesting that America and other big countries haven't done this as well. Oh, absolutely. Well, I mean, I have no idea, but it just feels yeah. like they- Oh, they do clandestine operations all the time, mm. yeah, taking people out. James Bond. You yeah, know, they've got a licence to kill that yeah, guy. Yeah, that's the UK, right? Yeah. Yeah. MI5? Yeah. MI6? Yeah. Six. MI7? Double <laughs> seven. MI6. What's that? Military intelligence is what it stands for. Oh, oh. that'll come up in trivia cool. someday. Maybe, maybe it already has. That's why I remember <laughs> it. <laughs> so, to carry out the extremely clandestine mission, Goldemir trusted Mossad, Israel's national intelligence agency. Mossad is one of the world's largest espionage agencies, one of the best in the world and certainly the best in the Middle East, I heard an expert say. I was going to say, is this your judgment? No, Dave? no. This is like a... Uh, an FBI guy that was interviewed. They are responsible for intelligence collection, covert operations, and counterterrorism. Its director answers directly and only to the Prime Minister. Pretty uh, covert stuff. Mossad really made their name on the world stage when they covertly kidnapped Adolf Eichmann, one of the major organisers of the Holocaust, who after World War II had escaped to Argentina. Sick. After years of searching, they found, which a bunch of Nazis did, yeah, escaped yeah. to South America and non-extradition countries. Some led very quiet lives to try and cover their tracks. Others didn't do that at all. But um, after years of searching, they found Eichmann, kidnapped him on the streets of Buenos Aires in 1960 and whisked him back to Israel to face court. They thought that if they went through proper diplomatic channels to attempt to get him extradited, that Eichmann would be tipped off and disappear again because he had lived a very quiet life and gone under the radar. They grabbed him off the streets, put him in the back of a car and took him to several safe houses around the city before drugging him and taking him on a plane back to Israel. Which is wild stuff. Yeah. Mm. Really scary. Yeah, it's so scary. They literally walked up to him. I think someone spoke to him in German and said, are you Adolf Eichmann? And he was like, oh, oh. And then a car pulled up, put a thing over his head, and they just dragged him into the back of the car, and that was it. He said, nine, nine. (laughs) Uh, 
I it's funny. I watched a a preview for a new movie last night called My Neighbor Adolf, and it's I, I guess it's set in South America somewhere, and it is about this guy who suspects his neighbor's Adolf Hitler. He's just this bearded guy who's painting. He's like he's he's an amateur painter. <laughs> oh, is it a comedy? I think it's sort of like like a yeah a light comedy. Not light, but yeah. <laughs> but light sorry. on the comedy. But it looks like they, they sort of form a friendship and stuff. I'm guessing it's not actually Adolf Hitler, but yeah, that's that's what the guy thinks. He goes to the cops and he's like, my neighbour's Adolf Hitler. <laughs> it was- just- I can- <laughs> And when's it set? It's recently? set like it was very, very, fairly recently, so he's obviously- It's 140 years yeah, old. Yeah. <laughs> and he goes, I'm- he goes, uh, it's uh, the cops going, how do you know it's him? He says, it's the eyes, the blue eyes. I'd never forget those eyes. And she's like- doesn't, didn't he have brown eyes? <laughs> <laughs> so they they uh, abducted Adolf Eichmann off the streets. Argentina was pissed that someone had been uh, abducted on the their city streets, and they appealed to the United Nations and said they can't do this. Mm. This that's illegal. But in the ensuing debate, Israel's representative and uh, later Prime Minister Golda Meir, so she was their representative at the time, she claimed that the abductors were not Israeli agents but private individuals meaning that the incident was only an isolated violation of Argentine law. Yeah, right. They had nothing to do with the government. Yeah. They were just people acting on their own. They're Those just, guys? Yeah, never heard of them. Nah. But now he's back here. We may as well put him on trial, which they did, and he was put on trial for his crimes, found guilty, and executed in 1962. So wow. that that's how they get I away with stuff that. is by denying it. So, this really made people sit up and take notice of Mossad and I'm I'm sure, as they hoped, put a few Nazis and Holocaust collaborators who'd gotten away on edge. This was probably trebled when Herbert Sukers, who carried out the worst mass murder of Latvian Jews in the Holocaust, but who had escaped to Brazil, was assassinated by Mossad in 1965. They lured him to nearby Uruguay under the false pretense of a business deal, subsequently killed him, put him in a trunk, and sent a letter to the media detailing his crimes and saying that he'd been sentenced to death. So, yeah. It's Uh, full on. It's full on. And a big part of it is to scare their enemies. They yep. want them to feel on edge, like they're not safe anywhere they And they're go. pretty sure that they're getting the right people here. <laughs> yeah, they're pretty sure. Like, they're not going, yeah, I remember those blue eyes anywhere. Yeah. Uh, didn't you have brown eyes? Well, hang on to that thought for later in this episode. Oh, God. Mossad were not afraid of following their enemies into other countries, but to take revenge against Black September, they would need to follow their targets into dangerous enemy territory. Not just any, any country, mm. but countries they're actively at war with. The Wrath of God hit squad, codenamed Bayonet, had sort of two reasons for existing. One was to get justice against those that had committed the atrocities against the Israeli members of the Munich Olympics. The targets would be both those that directly committed the acts and those that funded and organised them. That's one part. The other purpose was to deter future violent incidents against Israel. They wanted to strike fear into their enemies by making them think that no one was safe from the, quote, long arm of Israel no matter where they were in the world. So, they wanted people to think twice against fucking with them. Yeah. And is that something... Yeah, I didn't know that about Israel. It has a long arm. I guess that's what they're showing here. Yeah, yeah. The longest arm. Yeah. Look, I can scratch my own back. Yeah. <laughs> must be nice. Can you scratch your own back? Nah. My arms are quite long. I can sunscreen my whole back. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Without second or third party needed. The long and flexible <laughs> arm of Israel... Can sunscreen its own back, but also find you where you hide. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And you better think twice about messing with them because they- And that's the other thing is like, no matter how long it takes, we can get you. Yeah, right. We're not going to 
So you'd be looking over your shoulder for your whole life. Mm. Much like Jess is for some reason. <laughs> Just on edge. <laughs> yeah. Also looking for somebody to put sunscreen on my back. <laughs> Anyone? You're looking over your shoulder. <laughs> Come on. Oh, please. Please, I'm burning here. <laughs> so, here's a quote to um, emphasize what I was just saying. According to David Kimchi, former deputy head of Mossad, the aim was not so much revenge, but mainly to, to make them, the terrorists, frightened. We wanted them to look over their shoulders and feel that we were upon them. And therefore, we tried not to do things by just shooting a guy in the street. That's easy. Well, fairly. <laughs> so- That's a terrifying sentence. It's easy to it's shoot easy. someone yeah. in the street. Whatever. Anyone could do that. But we wanted we wanted to make it complicated. So, like, uh, even more even more scary. Yeah. What, so, like, they wouldn't feel safe even in their homes and stuff? That's right. It, when you're in bed, when you're in the car, for example. Those are my favourite places to be. Oh. What's another place you like? Uh, couch. Oh, okay. Yeah. Not safe on the Cinema. couch. Cinema. No. Oh, I love being in the cinema. Actually, cinema is the safe zone. That's, yeah. uh, we they, never- respect, they respect film. Yeah. yeah, they respect art. Yeah, yeah. that's true. That's right. What about in the pool? I love being in the pool. I'm a swimmer now, by the way. <laughs> Are you really? I've done laps once and I'm, oh, where'd you- I'm a swimmer. What, 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 what was it like but the first time in the pool? Because I, I love the idea of swimming laps, but I'm going to be so slow. I need the slower than slow lane. Yeah, I was in the slow lane um, and I made it about- 25 metres and then panicked that I didn't have access to air at all times. <laughs> My friend later pointed out, why don't you do backstroke? And I thought, ah. Oh, yeah. And was the pool 25 or 50 metres? 50. Oh, dear. <laughs> okay. Because 25 is fine if you got to the other end. <laughs> yeah, no, it's a 50 metre pool. Anyway, so, yeah, I'm a swimmer. I like, I like uh, breaststroke for a similar reason. Yeah. But I don't do it properly. I just pretty much keep my- <laughs> Yeah. My nose is out of the water at all Absolutely, times. Absolutely, yes. And I go so slow. It's painfully slow. Slower than walking dis- uh, yeah. pace. So, so, you're basically doing doggy paddle but with the breaststroke. Yeah. Because yeah. that's what I like to 100%, do as well. 100%. Yes, that's it. Head out of the water. Breathe yeah. that sweet, sweet air. Yeah. No yeah. I sneak it. up on me. I reckon I get to a pool once a summer and it's just like, I yeah, one lap, probably in a 25-meter pool, and I'm fucking knackered. I'm done. <laughs> I'm cooked. Just got to keep going back and build up your No, 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 no. You go once, you go, <laughs> yeah. that was hard, so you never that, go again. That's my problem. If I'm not instantly good at something, why would I keep trying? Yeah, I'm the same. Yeah. I only do things I'm instantly good at. <laughs> Me too. That's why I don't do much. <laughs> that's why you love the couch. I love the couch. I'm so good at you it. You got that the first time you went on it. <laughs> I'm nailing this couch. I've been sitting on couches my whole life. Dave's nailing the couch. <laughs> Dug a little hole in there. That's why Dave has his own couch. Anyway, please continue. Heading up the operation was Mike Harari, head of Mossad's special operations unit, described as a ruthless, badass of a man who would stop at nothing to complete his mission. One guy described him as, if he had to go to the moon and back, he'd do it. Whoa. <laughs> he'd go to, like, astronaut school and everything? <laughs> yeah. He'd commit. That seems full on. Yeah, he'd have to raise quite a lot of money. And again, like, what about work-life balance? Yeah. How do these people switch off? I don't think Mike's spending much time on the couch. See, that's just not a way to live, from in my opinion. More couch time. Yeah. Yeah. If he, was, that- if he was around today, he'd be doing, like, he'd be in uh, Silicon Valley oh, yeah. starting companies. Yeah, yeah. startups. Yeah. He'd have, like, eight startups going. He'd be getting up at four. Yuck. Going to the gym. Then having like a goji berry smoothie. Yep. Uh, and then he'd check his messages. Yep. You know, one of those. Yeah. And then I'd go to the what gym are, again. What are those powerful people's uh, day diaries? And I meditate. Yeah. And I spend four minutes with the children. Yeah. I Back journal. Back to the gym. <laughs> Seventh breakfast. Then lunch. Yeah. Then I'm in meetings until 
midnight. <laughs> then it's 15 minutes in the golf simulator. <laughs> <laughs> That's I mean, me time. <laughs> I'm in bed in the cryo chamber for about an hour and 15. <laughs> and I'm back up. <laughs> shower, two minutes with the wife, then <laughs> back in the goji shake. <laughs> We're talking- it's just not how I want to live. No, we're talking about Mark Wahlberg, aren't we? I want 10 hours of sleep and oh. I want a couple of meals and leave me alone. This doesn't seem fun. Hey, well, everyone's fun is different. His fun is dumb. Yeah. Anyway, this guy's going to the moon and back. Yeah, he'll he do, whatever, do whatever it takes. But also my worry about these things is once if you start- he'll, He will go to the moon and back if you'll be, if you'll be his baby. <laughs> Oh, sorry for jumping in there. That wasn't anything. Uh, a bit of human savage garden. Savage a bit of human savage garden, yeah. This, Not was, the robotic <laughs> savage human, garden. Human nature. On the project last week, Darren Hayes from Savage Garden was, was in the, the crowd whilst I was doing warm-up. Well, sorry, he was on the show whilst I was doing warm-up with the crowd. And uh, there were people who were literally crying when they saw him. Yeah. He's still got a big following, that oh, guy. Oh, yeah. Big oh, following. They were, they were big. They had number ones in America. Yeah. There's no one that I would cry at the mere sight More of. More than Darren Hayes. <laughs> what are you talking you, you cry at Paul Kelly every time. <laughs> you ball. That's true. <laughs> but it's not just if like Dolly I Parton see walked it. In oh, now. <laughs> I might cry a little bit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I would cry. You'd cry. You would, what would you say? You'd be a blubbering mess. <laughs> and you know what? I think she'd handle it perfectly. I think she would. She'd have something funny to say to put me at ease. Oh, man. That's right. Is she here? Don't cry for me, darling. (laughs) (laughs) So the committee's first task for Israeli intelligence was to draw up an assassination list of those involved in Munich. The contents of the entire list are unknown. Reports put the final number of targets at about 20 to 35 on the hit list. Right. A mix of Black September and PLO, that's Palestine Liberation Organization, members. Mossad put the feelers out to thousands of contacts and informants around the world and began to track down and locate their potential targets. The hit squad first killed Wales Waiter, a PLO organiser and cousin of Yasser Arafat. Officially, Zwaiter was a translator at the Libyan embassy in Rome, but to the Israelis, he was a terrorist and a target. When he returned to his apartment building in Rome in October 1972, as Zwaiter reached his doorway, two men came out of the shadows and shot him 12 times. This, wow. is, this is just in Rome. Oh, jeez. Sueta was the PLO's Italian representative at the time, but they denied his connections to the Black September group. So some say this killing may have been an error. Yeah, jeez. What do you what do you think, Dave? Do you think people deserve a trial? Yes, I do. Okay. Yes, I do. Okay, interesting. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Hey, you were pretty quick to answer there. Yeah. I, thought, I thought you might have ummed and ahed a bit more. <laughs> I mean, first of all, you can't go around kidnapping people from the Olympic Village and murdering them in cold blood. But also, I don't think you can assassinate people on the streets of Rome in cold blood or anywhere. Okay. Controversial, but- Controversial. That, that's how I'm putting it out there. But yes, I can see how you would want justice for your for your countrymen if three members had just been released by mm. by the the government that had arrested them. But it's very- con- It's very- uh, It's very nuanced. Nuanced. But if I had to break it down into one sentence, yes, people deserve a trial. <laughs> So, that was in Rome. The next target was in Paris. Mahmoud Hamshari, who was also a PLO representative, he was the target. According to Britannica, Arath- so that's what I'm saying. They deny it exists, but it's, it's famous enough that the Encyclopedia Britannica have an article on this. <laughs> a Wrath of God member posing as an Italian journalist scheduled a telephone interview with Hamshari in December 1972. Wrath of God explosive experts broke into his home and planted a bomb in his telephone. Oh, my God. While he was out. They broke in. Put the bomb in the telephone. 
And then they organized an interview with him saying, I'm an Italian journalist, love to love to speak to you. Can we do it over the phone? He said, no worries. So, Hamshari was called at the time arranged for the interview. And when he identified himself, they said, Hamshari, is that you? And he said, yes. The bomb was activated remotely whilst he was on the phone and he died in the explosion. <gasps> wow. How wild is that? I like that it wasn't just um, just picking up the receiver. Because then somebody else could accidentally. Yeah, exactly. That's the funny. I'm like, why are they, they've over-engineered this. Just why do they have to have this Italian interviewer? I was like, oh, I had to make sure. To make sure it's not the housekeeper or somebody else. It's definitely him. He said yes. And they said the full name. Is that you? Yeah. He says yes. And someone goes, beep. Whoa. Explodes. So, that's just, that's, so they've just bombed an apartment in Paris, which is, you know. And who was that guy? Who did they just kill? He was a PLO representative in Paris that they thought had been involved in organisation. Yeah, yeah, more than thought or just <laughs> yeah, well, had you know, an inkling? Yes, they. I think that they are pretty confident that the people on their list are all involved. But then, of course, so I can't say one way or the yeah. other, but they were confident they were killing the right people. Four other suspects, Basil Al-Kubaisi, Hussein Abad al-Shir, Zayed Mukasi and Mohammed Boudia were all killed during the next few months in hits in Cyprus, in Athens, and uh, other places over Europe. So, people were being taken out all over Europe. There were bombs put in cars and even under a bed. This is why you can't feel safe in bed. That's your sanctuary. I love my bed. And they have like um, devices. They're activated by weight. So, you get in the bed. Oh, and they know how much people weigh. Yeah, it goes off. So, if it's a kid, it won't go off. Yes. Or I think it's more like they get a signal saying someone's in bed and they've made sure it's the right person. Right. Jeez. They hit the bomb. And although extremely illegal, the European governments actually turned a blind eye to these assassinations. Really? I think they were like, okay, yep, these are probably bad dudes. (laughs) Probably bad dudes. And I'm sure there'll be no reprisals and this won't just keep escalating. This will just sort itself out. After each of the killings, Anki Spitzer, who I spoke before, widow of slain uh, Andre Spitzer, would get a call from an unknown person who would tell her, listen to the news on the radio, and then it would hang up. And then she'd turn the radio on and it would say, blah, blah, assassinated in Paris. And she says she never was happy to get these calls. She drew no satisfaction from the news of yeah, fair enough. women dying. But apparently all the family members of the people murdered at the Olympics would get these calls saying, look at the news, listen to the radio. But I must say, these were all relatively minor Black September targets. They really took things up a notch when uh, Mossad decided to take out three senior members in one night, and not in an, in a European city, but within the heart of enemy territory in Beirut, Lebanon, which CBS described in 2001 as, quote, the centre of terrorist activity. The PLO virtually ran the city. Their leaders were all heavily guarded. So, it's a very difficult and dangerous mission, but this was the ultimate display of showing the enemy they weren't safe anywhere in the world. Called by CBS, quote, the most daring assassination campaign of our time and the most audacious attack the Israelis have ever planned, the mission was known as Operation Spring of Youth. It was seven months in the planning, and this is what happened. On the night of April 9, 1973, commandos landed on the coast of Lebanon in Zodiac speedboats launched from Israeli Navy missile boats offshore, and to avoid being heard, they turned the motors off where they're a few hundred metres away and rowed the rest of the way in. The 16 commandos then slipped onto the shore and they were met by Mossad agents who drove them to their targets in cars rented the previous day. But they were worried that groups of men might attract unwanted attention just wandering the streets together, so they decided to dress some of the commandos as women so they could get dropped near their targets and then walk through the streets 
posing as couples on holiday. Said walking group. Did they consider just having some women involved? There he is. There's the feminist. (laughs) Women can be killers. They can be commanders. It was the 1970s, you know, it's the same as like Monty Python and stuff. If you need a woman, you dress one of the men up as one. You do that a lot. Yeah, yeah. He's not the Messiah, he's a very (laughs) naughty boy. You know, fun stuff like that. Absolutely. Uh, One of the commandos dressed as a lady was then commander of the Special Forces and future Prime Minister of Israel, Ehud Barak. He recalled, We decided maybe some of us will go like women. It will reduce the suspicions. We put everything in place, a wig and a breast and everything. And And a breast? (laughs) Yeah. Okay. There's our backstory. They've lost a the breast. <laughs> Not sure nice. English is his first language. And I had my lieutenant, Mookie Betzer. He was kind of half a head taller than me. And we were a couple. Okay. So they just wandered the streets. To quote from a CBS article that I will, of course, link to in the show notes, the couple's first date was with a PLO guard in front of the building. That was their prime target. Barack shot him with a silencer. Commandos crept up the stairs to the apartment of Kamal Adwan, the PLO's chief of operations. The civilian disguises turned out to be a good idea because, quote, the moment that they opened the door, the terrorist was there with his Kalashnikov and an AK-47 in his hands, says Barack. And it was only the split second of hesitation of the terrorist when he sees that it's civilian people that ended up our officer shooting the terrorist and not the other way around. So he opened the door and went, what the hell? And in that moment, they shot him rather than him opening fire on them. He said, oh, what's this? <laughs> oh. oh, hello. <laughs> et cetera. Et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> <laughs> they simultaneously raided three nearby guarded apartment buildings and killed Muhammad Yusuf Al-Nahir, who was the operations leader in Black September. So a very important uh, target. Kamal Adwan, a chief of operations in the PLO, and Kamal Nasser, the PLO executive committee member and a spokesman for the group. So they took out three guys really quickly. The Israelis returned to the beach in their boats and quickly disappeared into the darkness. It had taken them 30 minutes in total. Whoa. You know, last week we were talking about Germans' lack of ruthless efficiency. This is ruthless and efficient. The mission was brutally efficient, as I've already riffed there, but didn't come without collateral damage. During the operation, two Lebanese police officers, an Italian citizen, and Nahar's wife were also killed. So, they've killed innocent people there. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. This show is brought to you by BetterHelp. i got to get something off my chest. Okay. I ate your last biscuit. I was that saving has been, them for my wedding. That has been stressing. <laughs> And has been stressing me out. I'm so sorry. I feel a lot better to get that off my chest. You know, keeping things bottled up can affect people negatively, and that had been affecting me. And that feel that's a weight off my shoulder. Yeah. It was delicious. I'm not sorry, but I did take the last biscuit he, that he was saving for his wedding. I didn't know that. <laughs> that is upsetting to hear. But I think I'm going to have to get some uh, positive coping skills. Learn to set some boundaries. Mm-hmm. Well, maybe you could give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, so it's very convenient. It's flexible. You can fit it around your schedule. You just fill out a brief questionnaire and you get matched with a licensed therapist. You too can get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com. 
com slash D-G-O today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash D-G-O. More hits followed, but the man at the top of their list remained at large. A protege of Yasser Arafat, nicknamed the Red Prince and thought to be the chief of operations and co-founder of Black September and probable mastermind of the Munich Massacre, Ali Hassan Salame. He was a wealthy playboy who drove expensive cars. He was also extremely careful, and in 1972, he disappeared off the radar, and they couldn't find where he was. But Mossad later discovered that he was just 50 metres down the street when they took out three of his colleagues in a single night in Beirut, but they didn't know, and they were spewing they didn't get him at the same time. Wow. Off-the-grid playboy. (laughs) Yeah. I think at times he was flashy, and then he would be like, oh, they're on my tail. Yeah, right. Got to go underground. And then he'd re-emerge and be like, I've got a Ferrari. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Very low-key one, really? though. It's yeah. just red. That's I wanted to get one in bright orange, but- But you know what they're like. I'm giving it low-key, yeah. so- Everybody's got a red one. That's like James Bond, like, you know, trying to go undercover and then always driving around in an Aston Martin or a Lotus yeah. that was also a submarine. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> just keeping it cash. So, the three guys that were released by West Germany, are they still around? They're still around. They're on the list, but they haven't been, quote, dealt with. I imagine they're being heavily guarded as well. Yeah, so they've gone into hiding. A lot of these people are going to safe houses, that kind of stuff. But yeah, Israel are very keen to catch up with them. Yeah. Yeah, but their number one target was the organiser, this guy, the Red Prince Salame. They were desperate to get to him. And in 1973, when a report came through that the Red Prince had been spotted in a small town in Norway called Lillehammer, the team jumped into action. There were reports at the time that he was planning an operation in Scandinavia. And that's why he'd moved there. Hmm. That was an Olympic city as well, wasn't it, Lillehammer? I think it went on to be to host the Winter Olympics, yeah. Let's see what year it was. 1994. Well, good year. I still don't know why we can't have the Winter Olympics. Because our mountain isn't high enough, apparently. That's why Roy and HG started a campaign <laughs> to, for everyone to donate their rubbish and uh, we'll put it on the top of Mount Kosciuszko to yeah. build it up to get to Olympic height. And then, uh, yeah, they want to host it at Smiggins Hole, which is a, <laughs> a nearby town. <laughs> This is all sounding like a good plan. Yeah, I, I don't know. understand. And how is the rubbish pile going? Well, have I, we checked in? I haven't checked in in quite a while. Uh, I think that, Smiggins Hole. That was about 18 years ago or well, something. Well, 18 years worth of Australian rubbish. Yeah. I think it should be huge, but that it should, should be, be bigger than Everest. Tough. Yeah, exactly. And then you just need like a light coating of snow. Yes. Right, you don't Bit need, of powder. You don't know what's underneath. Yeah. No. It doesn't matter. doesn't, doesn't matter. matter. Get a snow machine Get up there. Get a snow yeah. machine up there. Yeah. Get it going. Get it going. <laughs> It's disappointing we never get we never get the never bloody get Winter Olympics. I wonder, yeah, I'd love to catch up with Roy and HG and see how the, the Smiggins, Smiggins tilt is going. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Hope they've got broadcast rights. So they, they hear that he's in Lillehammer, this tiny town in Norway, and they jump into action. According to our history, the timing for Mossad could not have been worse. It was during a time when Chief Mike Harari's top agents were on annual leave. But he decided to go for it anyway, and the pool to choose from became even smaller because he needed agents that looked Scandinavian, something that he didn't have many of. So the hit team was chosen, and it wasn't exactly the A team. Okay. I think he probably well, they don't look-, look that Scandinavian, do they? No. Mr. T. Mr. T. Uh, the face. The face, Hannibal. Hannibal and the other guy. The chief. The colonel. Yeah, what up? That's Hannibal. Hannibal. Oh, okay. Face. B.A. Barakas. Oh, B.A. Barakas. No, that's Mr. T. That's okay. Mr. T, <laughs> Mr. T is <laughs> it's B.A. Yeah. We've got to look it up now. John Hannibal Smith. 
uh, Arthur Templeton, Faceman Peck, B.A. Barakas, who's Bosco Albert, and of course, how could we forget H.M. Howling Mad Murdoch. Oh, Murdoch. Mad Murdoch. Howling Mad Murdoch. The, the A-Team movie with Bradley Cooper and Liam Neeson's up. It's a bit of fun. Is I, it? I, Should I, I check it out? I haven't watched it. It sounds awful. right up my alley. It's, it's a romp. I love yeah. a romp. It's an action romp. Is it like perfect cinema? No. no, but I don't think Is I want to see Perfect Center anymore. No, I just want to. I just want to enjoy yeah. my time watching Absolutely. a movie, I mean, and I've it's been, fun. Been watching all of the Predator movies. Okay, uh, watched uh, Aliens versus Predator Requiem. One of the worst films I've ever seen on a technical <laughs> level, but so fun. Yeah, so no, fun. I recommend watching it, and now I want to rewatch it. Let's watch it. Okay, let's stop this. Let's just watch yeah. movies together. Let's instead of recording podcasts, let's just watch movies. And not even talk about it on mic. No. <laughs> just enjoy it. Yeah. Imagine watching a movie just to enjoy it. Oh man. <laughs> yeah, I can. Predators versus Alien Requiem. So anyway, we're talking about the A team. They don't have the A team because they uh, everyone's on leave and then they also have this smaller pool of agents to choose from. One of the agents, Marianne Glankoff, a data processor and rookie agent who'd recently emigrated to Israel from Sweden. Another agent was Dan Ert, a Danish man who was only slightly more experienced. The operation was seen as so risky that Chief Mike Hararo flew to Norway to personally supervise the operation himself. In fact, in total, 15 agents were sent to take out the Red Prince. Whoa. It's a big, big operation. Lilyhammer itself is very small with a population at the time of just over 20,000. So, not many people live there. Yeah, right. And the sudden arrival of more than a dozen agents attracted attention from residents. The local police began to watch them, thinking- I mean, 20,000 is not tiny. It's amazing that some people have turned up and everyone's like, what the bloody hell is going on <laughs> Who here? Who the heck are these guys? Yeah. Massad's intel was that Salame was working as a waiter at a cafe in the centre of town. The He'd- Red Prince. Yeah, I think that's they're thinking he's undercover. Undercover as a waiter. As a waiter. Yeah, right. Probably doing a bit of intel himself. I and wonder he- if he was any good at it. Like, is it, it'd be real obvious if he's just, like, hopeless. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, he'd have to be, you know- like he actually has to write down the orders. You're like, yeah. well, fuck come on. Mate. Sorry, I'm just, I'm not really doing waiting. I'm, I'm actually a millionaire. I'm a playboy. Yeah. I'm doing inter. So, do you know anything? Or do you think that they, you know how they take them into like these sort of like, you know, terrorist training camps? His version is they take him to a cafe. Yeah, barista school. Yeah, he's serving everyone. He's doing latte art. Yeah. <laughs> just to like go on the would not believe. Hey, here's a here's a bit of uh, fun trivia, perhaps. What was the first ever Netflix TV show? Is it House of Cards? No, that was a massive one. First ever Netflix TV show. Yeah, it's but it's based on something you've just said. But the A Team, <laughs> Lily Hammer. Ah, starring uh, Stephen Van Zandt from um, the East Street Band and Sopranos. Right. Was he wearing the bandana? Uh, no, he, he, uh, he doesn't wear the bandana. He wears like a big quiffy wig. Hmm. Maybe that wasn't that fun of a fact, but- I think I actually haven't heard of this show. I but- haven't heard of it either, but I, I follow him on Twitter and, and he talks about it a bit because they were- It's just interesting. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, I guess it's because it was the first one. I hadn't really kicked off. Hmm. Yeah, there you go. For three seasons. But yeah, right. I'm like, I know Lily Hammerford. Yeah, I'd, those two reasons, the Olympics and that TV show. But it's this town of 20,000 people. Well, that's in the 70s. It's probably a bit right. bigger now. After the Netflix show. Exactly. It's yeah. huge. It's probably a real boon for the town. <laughs> so, they've seen him working as a waiter. That's what they think. That's what they've been told. So, they followed this guy. He'd been seen talking to a known Palestinian courier at a public swimming pool. And they're like, okay, he knows that guy. He was heard to speak French 
and Salame was known to be multilingual, and they were putting all these things together going, that's him. Mossad agents staked out the cafe and compared the waiter to a photo they had of him, but they didn't have a great photo. They just sort of had a pretty grainy one, but they were looking going, yeah, that looks like him, that's him. Oh my God, that can't be it. The agent he thought, speaks French and it kind of looks like him. Kind of looks like him. We've got intel. He's been speaking to a guy that we know works for their organization. Great. They think the waiter was a match, but they can't be certain, but he looks pretty similar and all the other circumstantial evidence makes him think yes this is the red prince mm. so the assassination was ordered for the next day agents watched salame leave a flat accompanied by a pregnant woman who attended a local cinema with the operation being coordinated from harari's hotel room they tracked the couple who got onto a bus and then began to walk home and then they called the hit team in as the couple walked is there with the pregnant woman just walking down the street as the couple walked home a car pulled up and two agents got out and shot the man 13 times before speeding away it seemed, on paper, like the hit was a success. They'd killed the guy. Oh, my God. Harare, the leader of the mission, immediately left for Sweden via boat to get away. But then the next morning, the media begins to report on a shocking murder in Lillehammer, the town's first in 36 years. Oh, my God. So, these God. kind of crimes do not happen in this tiny town. The victim was named as Ahmed Bouchiki, a Moroccan man. And it was only then that Mossad realised, holy shit. Oh we shot God. the wrong guy. A completely innocent. He was he oh. was a waiter oh, who no. just happened to know the Palestinian courier and speak French, as many Moroccans do. Yeah, that's not enough. I mean, I don't think they should be doing this. Oh, I mean, oh, yeah. God. This yeah. is, that's so freaking grim. He's walking with his pregnant wife or yeah. partner. I mean, you know, whether or not he's walking with his pregnant partner, it's fucking grim, but that- They shot that the wrong guy, yeah. Fortunately, she was unhurt, but she had just watched- her husband, be shot in the street for completely unknown reasons. Like, you know, they've got nothing to do with that sort of world. Imagine, it's it's like you or me walking down the street, someone pulls out and shoots you 13 times. You'd be going- Which one's the wife? (laughs) (laughs) Hopefully me, because I don't want to die. Take him. Yeah, I don't want to. I don't. I don't want to see you die, Dave. So I'm happy to take. Thank that's you. Thirteen nice. bullets for me. That's really beautiful. I think it's. It sounds like the brave thing, but it's the cowardly thing. Yeah, just kill me. Then I don't have to. Do I don't have it. to. I don't have to think about it. <laughs> yeah. So the town and Norway at large and the world were shocked and terrified because they're they're wondering what the hell. This tiny town, someone got shot 13 times. They've got no idea what's going on. Soon they've put it together and it was a huge controversy for Israel. European countries seemed happy to turn a blind eye to what they saw as murderers and terrorists being assassinated on their streets. But the murder of a completely innocent man for no apparent reason was, of course, a completely different story. Oh, okay. That's where they draw the line. Uh, Yeah, I was was wondering where they're going to draw a line. but There it is. That's the line. Innocent person being murdered with his pregnant wife. Okay. Nine members of the hit team, including the two actual killers, escaped and were out of Norway the day following the assassination. But six other members of the team, four men and two women, were arrested before they could escape after Norwegian police noted the license plate of the hit team's car and tracked it to a safe house in Oslo. So they were arrested. That feels a little sloppy. Yeah. Like I said, it wasn't the A-team. You're right. Though having said the A-team, they always drive in that same van. Yeah. Surely they're able to be traced. (laughs) (laughs) It was a terrible humiliation for Mossad and it was a political disaster for Israel. Five of the Mossad agents in in Norway were sent to prison for their crimes. And once they were interviewed, they gave up other safe houses and all sorts of other stuff. Due to the intense international pressure, Israel's Prime Minister Goldemir was forced to shut down Operation Wrath of God. And it seemed like the Red Prince was going to get away forever. But then, four years went by. 
And in 1977, Israel elected a new Prime Minister, Menachem Begin, a man who was no stranger to terrorism and terrorist groups. Again, this is one man's freedom fighter is another man's terrorist, because before Israel was established, he'd been the leader of an underground group that was branded as a terrorist organization, and in 1946 bombed the King David Hotel in Jerusalem, the headquarters of the British administration in Palestine, and 91 people were killed. Wow. Isn't it? It's wild, because, you know, some politicians' career will be over because of a tweet mm. they did. <laughs> you got some skeletons in your closet? What about that tweet from uh, mm-hmm. yeah. 2013? Yeah, you're absolutely right. So, but now he's Prime Minister and Menahem Begin decided to reopen Operation Wrath of God and go after the Red Prince, Ali Hassan Salame. And he'd been pretty busy in the previous four years, to quote from CBS. Salame now didn't act like a man on the run. He married Miss Universe, then spent his honeymoon in Hawaii and went to Disney World. So... He didn't lie low and he'd stopped being careful about his movements. He got cocky. He thought, mm. four years. They haven't got me yet. I'm fine. I'm, he's going to America. He's going to Disney World. He's marrying a high-profile person. I'm yeah. the Red Prince. I'm the, exactly. He's f- living a flashy life. Did he ever face off with the Purple Prince, i.e. Normal Prince? <laughs> okay, Prince. <laughs> I don't like the Red Prince's chances. <laughs> yeah. That's <laughs> a dance-off. I'd back- That's a shred-off. Uh-huh. I'd back- the Purple Prince in nearly any fight. Yeah. Yeah. In, yeah, yeah. No matter what the circumstance. Yeah. Fist fight. Fist fight. Guitar fight. Four foot 11. He's taking this yeah. guy out. No Basketball. matter what. <laughs> yeah. Apparently demon on the court. In the summer of 1978, reports came through that he was openly living in Beirut, Lebanon, which again is still at this time enemy territory. But Mossad had already proved that that meant no guarantee when it came to safety. Mike Harare was again put in charge. Who'd, he'd offered his resignation to Goldemir when Lilyhammer went down and was completely wrong, but uh, he kept his job. This time he had left nothing to chance and put together a crack team of professionals, sending in 14 agents on different uh, false passports, including Canadian and British. The lead agent was a woman known as Erica Chambers. So, there you go. Women can be Mossad agents too. That's nice. I think there were a few in the failed one as well, weren't there? Yeah, that's right. You're right. Oh, what's your point there? Well, you know. Yeah, the first time- It shook my confidence in him and I wonder if it shook- uh, (laughs) As a feminist, I can say that. Yeah, you can. Because I've got their backs. Yeah, absolutely. Women. And can I just say something? How hot are women? Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> absolutely. Without the- um, it's For people listening out of context yeah. to like many other episodes, that probably sounds a little off. <laughs> but they're wrong. But they are wrong. Because women wrong. are hot. Women are hot. <laughs> I stand by that. If I know anything to be true, yeah, it is that women are hot. And, you know, not necessarily great at covert missions. Yeah. yeah, Not necessarily. It. No, they might be, but they they're an be. exception to the rule. <laughs> <laughs> Your words, Jess. I'm saying like anyone. I'd say the same for men. Oh, not necessarily good at covert missions. Oh, I don't know that that's true. Okay. <laughs> that doesn't feel right. <laughs> so the lead agent was a woman known as Erica Chambers. I can't confirm whether she was uh, as hot as all women are, but we we can assume. Well, I can confirm it. <laughs> she was an English woman who rented an eighth floor apartment down the street from where their target Salame lived. Foreigners were often viewed in Beirut with suspicion, but Chambers went undercover as a local weirdo named Penelope. Oh, I love this. No, foreigners. Uh, I'm suspicious of. 
local weirdos. Yeah, yeah whatever. whatever. They're harmless. She's screaming in the street, but that's just Penelope. <laughs> yeah. But is what that is such a great cover because people will look away from the yeah. local weirdos. Yeah. She dressed like a bohemian, and to the locals in the, in her building, she seemed eccentric but harmless. She spent her days rescuing stray cats and painting the city on her balcony. Was Phoebe from Friends based on this woman? <laughs> <laughs> it makes you think about all the local weirdos in your area. Like, are they actually undercover agents intending to look harmless? Oh, I'm going to be looking a little closer at them from now on. Just in case. Really, what she was doing was gathering intel and watching the Red Prince's movements from her balcony. They were trying to work out where he regularly went and when they could best strike to take him out. Over a period of six weeks, Massad noted that Salame spent most afternoons with his wife, former Miss Universe Georgina Ritsk, at her apartment in Snowborough, West Beirut, and when not in meetings, spent time at the gym and at the sauna. Hell yeah. That's the life, baby. After planning a bomb attack on the sauna, the plan was vetoed due to the potential for an excessive number of civilian casualties. They're like, one or two we can handle. (laughs) Yeah. That could be like five. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Got to draw the line somewhere. Yeah. Well, they did notice that he'd become complacent and had stopped looking over his shoulder by changing his daily routines. Eventually, they put together a pattern and noted that in the afternoon, he frequently drove down Becker Street and Rue Verdun, the street that Erica Chambers' balcony overlooked. Assad decided to strike by putting a bomb inside a car alongside that street and remotely detonating it as Salame's car drove past. The spot they chose was directly below Erica Chambers' apartment. So, she's out there pretending to paint every day, but really watching this guy like a hawk. Wow. And then she's out there on the street pretending to feed cats. She's watching this guy. So, they, yeah, they, they're not worried that, you know, people might be on the public street? That is a concern I would have, concern you would have. Apparently not a concern they have. Okay. 30 kilos of explosive were put inside a parked car on the street. The bomb was secretly brought in by Israel's military who swam ashore under the cover of night, dropped the bomb off and again disappeared into the darkness. So, sorry, Dave, just for people's for context, 30 kilos of where the bomb, that's about a Dave Warnicke's weight in bombs. That's about 50%. I reckon my upper half. Oh, right. Really? Yeah. Unfortunately, I'm Your not legs. 30 kilos. <laughs> You're not 30 kilos anymore. Not anymore. What was your comedy weight again? 52. Uh, 52. 52 kilos. But now I'm somewhere in the vicinity of around low 60s. Right. So, just for kind of, it is half of me worth of bombs. And I reckon I could explode pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> this torso hey, is a designated weapon. I reckon you could too, buddy. Yeah. Hey. <laughs> bang. Bang, bang, bang. Get hey, some fish Dave, tacos in you. That time will come. <laughs> hey, you just got to wait for the right person for you. Cannot wait. On the 22nd of January, 1979. So, this is like nearly seven years now after the Munich Olympics. Mm. Salame was in a convoy of two Chevrolet station wagons heading to his mother's for a birthday party. If he'd looked up, he would have seen that eccentric Englishwoman harmlessly painting on her balcony. As Salame's convoy passed the Volkswagen full of the bombs at 3.35pm, the bomb was remotely detonated, probably by Erica herself, who was watching the timing. You just said harmlessly painting. Now you're saying detonating a bomb. Which one is it, Dave? Women can multitask. That's right. That's true. That's what that's what you forget because you cannot. No, I cannot. But women can. What are you up to at the moment, Jess? Multitasking. Yeah. So you're podcasting. What else are you doing? I'm replying to emails. Yeah. I'm uh, making a mental list of everything else that I need to do. Making a hit list. Making a hit list. You're number one. Um, (laughs) Keep asking questions. (laughs) I have no questions. (laughs) Correct. My little golden boy over here. <laughs> Not on the list. Not on the list yet. Oh, okay. 
So she detonates the bomb. Or yeah. somebody does, but probably Erica. Probably her. And the explosion was massive. Salami was rushed to the hospital, still conscious, but he soon succumbed to his wounds. The mission was a success in that respect. Seven years in the making, Operation Wrath of God had got their lead man. But it did not come without the heavy collateral damage that they had been hoping to avoid. Salame's four bodyguards were also killed, as well as four innocent passers-by. What? Including two locals, a German nun and an English student. And 18 others were also injured in the explosion. Just at I mean, the ha- wrong place, wrong time. How, how did they not see that coming? I know. It's like a, it's a public street. But, like, just go back to, like, putting a bomb in his phone. Yeah, or, you know, get the artist a sniper rifle. Yeah. So we've noticed, of- we've been watching him for ages and we've got a really good idea of his uh, his sort of routines. So, let's get him while he's driving down a street. Blow him up from, yeah. Not, the bomb's not even in his car. Yeah. Which would have been hard to do, I suppose, but still. Still, uh, that sucks. Mm. Yeah, it's, it's awful. Honestly, Jess, let's take over Mossad. Oh, my God, Matt. I've been waiting for you to yeah, ask. I really think we can. <laughs> it's time. It's a new regime, okay? Yeah. <laughs> we're cool bosses, yeah. all right? All right. Hey, we're bringing in a pinball machine, <laughs> okay? Okay. I'm putting a slide in. Okay, Bottomless margaritas on Fridays, okay? Okay, after four. After four. <laughs> Not until we get our work done. <laughs> I'd be worried that there'd be a bomb in the pinball machine. Well, that, no, that's something we're guaranteeing. There will be no bombs in the pinball machine. What about the slide? Or the slide. The bottomless margaritas. The slide, though. <laughs> oh, somewhere. That's somewhere. Awful. Yeah, that somewhere is in a, the slide. that's a bad way to go. Oh. Split you in half. Oh, yeah. maybe not. Maybe it's in the top. Yeah. And you just go past it. Ow. And that's all you get. Never know. It's Little exciting. Nick. It's an exciting place to work. Okay. Dangerous Disney Did we world. not mention bottomless margaritas yeah. after yeah, four on a cool. Friday? They're poisoned. <laughs> Some of them are. Some of them. <laughs> We're <laughs> trying to build up your, your resolve. You'd be <laughs> resolved. <laughs> Your resilience to poison. You'd be bottomless after going down that slide if the knife was yes. put in the wrong spot. So, <laughs> oh it slices off your it's bottom. Whipped, whipped off my bottom. Oh, for, some, for some reason, I've rolled down the slide sideways. <laughs> I've got no bottom. Oh, dear. Have a seat. I can't. <laughs> <laughs> so, immediately following the operation, the three Mossad officers fled without a trace. Erica had first taken the trouble to fill the cat's dishes with food and had told her neighbour that the commotion had upset her so much she intended to rest in a hotel nearby and then she disappeared. And there's been speculation over the years as to who this woman was. Wow. But I guess we'll never know. Israel has never accepted responsibility for the explosion and continues to deny the existence of Operation Wrath of God. And this means it's difficult to pinpoint exactly how many were assassinated during the operation and when exactly it finished... You might be wondering about the three terrorists that survived the Munich massacre who were arrested and then flown to Libya. Well, for a time, it was thought that two of the men, Adnan al-Gashi and Mohammed Safadi, were killed by Mossad hit squads. The circumstances of al-Gashi's death remain uncertain, but the other man, thought dead, Mohammed Safadi, was revealed in 2022 when he was interviewed for a German docuseries called Death and Games Munich 72 that he is still very much alive. (gasps) It was revealed that he was paid 2,000 US dollars for exclusive rights for the interview, and the producers later admitted that this was an error, that they shouldn't have paid a man for responsible for such a horrible crime. Mm. But also Money. two grand. Yeah, I reckon That's he could have held much. out for more. Yeah, you know what I mean? He could have held out. That's not that much. How old would he be there? Is that him sort of He was of one of the young ones. So, yeah, early 70s now. Right. Yeah, I wonder what would have motivated him to come out and do that. Yeah, it feels like putting yourself back on the map or back if, on the if radar. If everyone thinks you're dead. Yeah, let them think you're dead. 
Yeah, exactly. Everyone thought this guy was dead for a long, long time. Finally, Jamal Al-Gashi, who is thought to be still alive in hiding somewhere in North Africa or in the Middle East, he was last interviewed for a documentary, the one I spoke about last week, one day in September in 1999, but his whereabouts are now unknown. So, two of the three are still probably alive. Yeah, wow. Right. And there is a chance that Israel is still searching for them. So, they even in the interview in one day in September in 1999, he talks about how he doesn't regret his crimes, but it's, it's affected his entire life. He's like, just look at the way you have to do this interview now, 27 years later. He's like, his face isn't shown properly. It's almost like a witness protection program yeah. style interview. He's like, yeah, I'm still in hiding. Yeah, no shit. Like, what do you mean? Oh, I don't regret it. But oh, it's really affected my life. No shit. Yeah, yeah. You what did, do you mean? You did an awful, awful you thing. You thought maybe you'd just have a normal, great life. What are you talking about? Yeah, you, you wonder as a nineteen-year-old what they told him. Yeah, exactly. That's very hey, true. You do this, but it's funny. You're going to be a hero forever, and you're going to live a life of. You live in a palace. Yeah, put you in a palace. But imagine, yeah, imagine saying that to somebody. Thinking it's about to blow their mind, you know? Well, it's actually affected my life. Oh, really? <laughs> Murdering people in cold blood. Huh. Interesting. Yeah, on a terrorist attack. On the world stage. Affected huh. your life. Mm, okay. Finally, in 2005, Operation Wrath of God was the subject of the Steven Spielberg film Munich. Got a great cast. Eric Banner, Daniel Craig. Well, you could uh, stop right there. I'd go see that film. I mean, I, I didn't and I haven't. I but haven't seen it. I didn't realise Daniel Craig was in no, it. No, me either. Yeah, he's playing since a, pre-Bond? Just before Bond. And he's playing a South African. Oh. Pretty good accent work. I've got really? Say. As good as in uh, Knives Out? <laughs> People <laughs> really hate on that, but I, I'm like, I'm fine with his accent no, in that. Every now and then just a little bit of Bond comes through, doesn't it? Yeah. But yeah. I, I get used to it real quick. But, yeah, some people can't watch it because of that. Oh, really? I enjoy it because it's fun. I think silly. it's fun. It's just a fun, it's a fun accent and it's. Yeah, but he's, I reckon he's pretty good at that. It's also got some great uh, European actors. The guy, the lead actor in The Bureau, that French show that I was obsessed with, is in this. Oh, yeah. So good in it. Cool. He's so good in Munich. So, have you seen this recently? Yeah, so I hadn't seen it before this report, but I, I watched it afterwards. It's, it, it's, it's good. It's accurate in some ways apparently and not in others. It basically sort of amalgamates lots of characters and makes it the same four yeah. guys right. on this mission, but really there's dozens of people involved. Is it at the, it's the Olympics part of it or is it this? So, the yeah, it starts with a little bit of that and then there's a few flashbacks, but it's mostly about the after aftermath. So, uh, Banner is playing a Mossad agent? Yeah, he's the lead Mossad guy in, in charge of taking out the- he, with the hit list and Daniel Craig's like his right-hand man and that sort of stuff. Mm. So, accurate in some ways, it actually it leaves out the Lilyhammer affair in Norway altogether where they accidentally shot the wrong guy, which oh. confused me as the whole point of the film seems to be the Mossad agents frequently talk about the ethics of what they're doing, oh, killing yeah. these guys on the street in mm. cold blood. And accidentally shooting an innocent man seemed to me the biggest thing that would make you question your actions. So, I am kind of perplexed as to why they didn't include that mm. bit. Uh, yeah, I wonder why. I guess they didn't want to. they didn't want to make it seem too questionable, yeah, but maybe. The, but the whole thing is kind of left open as to like- right. Are they doing the right thing or are they doing, you know, an ethically questionable thing? The film starts with the Olympic massacre, including the death of Moshi Weinberg, who I spoke about on last week's episode. He was shot in the apartment in the village twice after bravely fighting back. In Munich, Moshi Weinberg's son, Guri Weinberg, who was only a month old when his father was murdered, plays his dad in the film. Wow. Which is, must have been pretty emotional for him. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah, you, you when the, the guy's going, it's really affected my life. I wonder what that guy thinks about that. Yeah. Like, yeah, mine too, mate. Yeah, yeah. that's yeah. mine too. I never I met he my killed dad my dad actually. when I was a baby. Yeah. I don't remember my dad. 
Yeah. There's quite a few of us who've, whose lives have been affected by that. Yeah. Oh, but that, that's the end of the double episode, Operation Wrath of God, wow. part two. Dave, I, li- I like it. At one point you called it, you said Wrath of God, which I like. Yes. And is that, that is one of those words you can say both you ways. You can say both ways. What do wrath you think? The grapes of cool. wrath, I would usually say, but the grapes of wrath. I like wrath. You like wrath? Yeah. Is one the more posh way? Because that's the way I'd probably say it. That'd be wrath. Wrath. Yeah. <laughs> I say wrath. Yeah. Grapes of wrath. The grapes of wrath, the wrath of God, the wrath of Khan. Yeah. You'll suffer my wrath <laughs> if you don't clean up that tennis court. Yes. I'm slapping people with, with tennis asking, rackets. <laughs> asking for satisfaction. <laughs> it's my backhand. I demand satisfaction. <laughs> or you will feel my wrath. <laughs> You are a nightmare to play tennis with. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but thank you for having me over at your Very tennis Very hard court. to find a, a, a playing partner. Yeah, but, but a fantastic serve. My goodness. Oh, my God. The power. Second wow. one, not so good. Yeah. I lose confidence one. on the second one. <laughs> first one, I know I've got a spare to come, so I just whack it as hard as I can. That second one, real lollipop stuff. Yeah. <laughs> you lollipop it over. Ooh. <laughs> Well, that brings us to everyone's favourite section of the show where we get to thank a few of our great Patreon supporters. If you want to get involved, you can go to patreon.com slash pod. There's a bunch of different rewards depending on the level you sign up to. Uh, Dave, you can give us some examples, I assume. We uh, give out three bonus episodes every single month. We give them out. We give them out. Well, we upload three bonus episodes every single month just for their ears only. And when you subscribe at that level, the bonus episode or level or above, you get access to the previous bonus episodes as well. So, there's over 150 in the back catalogue to unlock instantly. Jess, what's your favourite uh, reward for being a Patreon? Um, the newsletter. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you also get to be part of the Facebook group, pre-sale tickets, you get discounts. I mean, very recently we did the Do Go On Awards this over the weekend, which was a live stream that only the Patreon people got to watch. Yeah. So, we, yeah, we put out stuff. We appreciate that, their support. It'll possibly still be there if you sign up, if you want to watch it. Yeah, that's um, right. All right. Well, the first thing we like to do is the fact, quote, or question section. So, if you sign up on the Sydney Scheinberg level or above, uh, you get to give us a fact, a quote, or a question. This section has a little jingle, I think. It goes something like this. Fact, quote, or question. He always remembers the ding. Oh, she always remembers the sing. And the way this works is uh, if you're on the Sydney Schoenberg level or above, you give us a fact, a quote, or a question, or a brag, or a suggestion, or really whatever you like, then I'll read them out. I'll read them out for the first time as I'm reading them out. <laughs> yeah, it makes sense. You also get to give yourself a title. This week, we've got one from David Loring, a.k.a. Chief Lifting Officer. And uh, David's offering us a brag. Love a brag. Writing, hey, pals. I'm actually submitting a double brag. Yes. Love it. We welcome that. First brag. (laughs) Hit me. I had a health incident a few years back. That's a very humble brag, I'd say. Uh, Oh, no. It goes on. Uh, That made me rethink a few life choices, one of which was how sedentary I'd become. I joined a gym primarily with the aim of, of just moving more, and that eventually led to me working with a trainer who got me lifting weights. Turns out I'm not half bad at it. Hmm. I train with some people who are stronger than me, of course, but I'm still content with this braggy little factoid. After months of chasing it, I can finally deadlift 250 kilos. Oh, what? Holy shit. Dave, quickly, how many of you is that? Four and a bit. Four and a bit Daves. Deadlift four four and a bit Daves. 250 kegs. That's amazing. Zero typo in there. (laughs) Yeah, I think that's zero. It's 25 kilos, I think. (laughs) 
roughly 551 pounds for the imperialists out there, he says. Uh, this means that combined with my best leg press at 750 kilos, is that your sort of territory, Bob? <laughs> Absolutely not, no. So, he's, he's not quite getting there that, yet. The man, he's pushing a small car up a hill at that point. Yeah. That's wild. Well, if we ever get trapped under one, we'll know who to call. <laughs> it says, I can move a literal metric ton of weight in two movements. Uh, although that's probably not wise. Uh, second brag. Whoa. With this submission, I've done at least one each of a fact, quote, question, brag, and suggestion. Yes. That's like our version of the EGOT. This is the EGOT. That's the QQBS. Oh, and I forgot the F. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and I think we can all agree that's the bigger achievement. Fantastic Absolutely work, Absolutely it is. I don't give a shit about your ton. No, that's amazing. All that fantastic that's work. That's so good. Thanks for the brag. We love to hear a brag. Uh, cheers to you, David. Next one comes from Pete Holburton. Dave, your, your great friend from that time oh, you yes, bumped into him Pete. in the street. <laughs> Let's catch up on that street corner, Pete. Pete's uh, a very much a space fan. Oh, yeah. He was on Hard Quiz. And the Apollo missions were his wow. topic. That's cool. Very exciting. And also a lot of pressure when I found out after the Apollo 13 report yeah. that I did last year. Yeah. He said, this is my- th-. But I was- Better ha- that you found out after. Yeah. yeah but yeah, I was happy yeah. that Pete said it. I did a pretty good job. Oh, that's great. Pete's uh, title is Occasional iPod Yeller. And- <laughs> Hopefully not during the Apollo episode. Hopefully it is. That'd be so good. Uh, and Pete's offering a fact, which I can only assume- Dave actually got lots of things wrong on that episode. <laughs> Pete writes, there's a reverse of Stockholm Syndrome called Lima Syndrome, where abductors develop sympathy for their captives. That feels like that should be the normal one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the name comes from the abduction of the Japanese ambassador's residence in Lima, Peru in 1996 by members of a terrorist group. Within a few days, the hostage takers set free most of the captives, including the most valuable ones, due to sympathy. And the ones who were supposed to kill the hostages in the event of an assault could not bring themselves to do it. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. Oh, that's. I love that that happened because <laughs> that feels like that's what most people's yeah. response would be. But I guess most people wouldn't start the hostage taking in the You're first right. place, probably. But of course, Dave, like you say, one man's freedom fighter, it's another man's terrorist or whatever. Very true. They used to say that a lot at uni when they were indoctrinating me into the <laughs> leftist uh, blah, blah, blah. All right. Um, thank you, Pete. That's great. Love that. I've never heard of that. You heard of that? No. No, I don't know that story, but it's fascinating. The next one comes from Blake Pilkington, uh, aka Chief President of President Chiefs. Whoa. <laughs> that's big time stuff. Love the word chief. Yeah, chief's yeah. great. There was a- Old uh, local brewery in Moorabbin had a used to have a beer called the Chief, and me and my dad when we went there it was like the big beer. We'd all, we'd finish the night was one say, and he'd raise it up and say, "Hail to the Chief," and we'd cheers. <laughs> <laughs> Bit of fun. And uh, you were eleven. <laughs> <laughs> and finish the night with the Chief. <laughs> Good boy. Little nightcap. <laughs> no, he didn't take me there until I was twelve. Um, <laughs> So, Blake Pilkington uh, has a quote writing, Hey, you, you're finally awake. You were trying to cross the border, right? Walked right into that imperial ambush, same as us. And that thief over there. That is a quote by Raloff. <laughs> Does that mean anything to you? Raloff? I might be saying that wrong. All right, let's have a, I'm going to have a quick Google of this. Uh, I think, it, is it a copy pasta or something? First thing that comes up is uh, Reddit slash Skyrim memes. 
be a Skyrim thing. Oh, maybe it's like a thing that people in the game, it happens over and over again or something. Right. I don't know, maybe is it just before you die or something, you have to keep doing it over and over again. I've just looked up Raloff. It comes up with Elder Scrolls. That's a game, isn't it? Yeah, Jesse, you're the gamer of the podcast. You've probably played Elder Scrolls. Oh, and Skyrim. I play um, I play little thing? farming games. <laughs> yeah, a little. I like to plant and water my crops. And also open a, be- a bear and breakfast. <laughs> yeah, that's- oh, my God. I haven't played for ages. Thank you for reminding me. Raloff is a Stormcloak soldier in the Elder Scrolls V Skyrim. He's the first character to directly speak to the Dragonborn during the game and one of the two soldiers that follow alongside the Dragonborn during the Skyrim Civil War. Ah, uh, yes. The other course. being Hadvar of the Imperial Legion. Uh-huh. Okay, yes. that's ringing bells. No follow-up questions. That's <laughs> <laughs> answered everything I needed to know. That was Blake Pilkington's uh, first fat quota question. Great. You thank came you. in like a hurricane, Blake. That really, that knocked us all over. Thank you so much. Yeah, unlike anything we'd ever seen or heard before. <laughs> I love it because I know that uh, there'd be a bunch of people listening who will both be yelling at their iPods, but also just enjoying hearing their favourite thing being chatted about. Yes, that's right. <laughs> and, and the confusion it's brought will bring them joy, maybe. Uh, and finally this week, we've got Stephen Carter, aka Mr. Apparently This Is Turning Into A Series Now. Oh. And Stephen has a question writing... Hey, team, back with another mascot fight to the death. Okay. (laughs) Let's move over to the US. Here's a list of all the NBA teams. Oh, my God. There's going to be so many. Yeah, there are quite a few. Um, I can, if you need any help, I can give you some extras. But, Jess, you'd know most of them off the top of your head. Who who are you going with? The um, the Golden State Warriors. Warriors is pretty good. What's a, a piston? That's only, that's like. Part of an engine, so I don't think they're going to do so good. Rockets are pretty good. Uh, are we talking about in a fight? In a fight, yeah. Oh, in a fight. Right, Indiana right, right. Pacers, I guess that's like uh, harness racing horses. So, uh, yep. I don't think they'd be too- that I reckon I'd be back in the Jazz. The Jazz, yeah. Yeah. Can he try and defeat the Jazz? Impossible. How could he defeat Jazz? I'm going with the Suns. It's not just one yeah, okay. Sun. Yeah. <laughs> that's lots. <laughs> the Raptors is also pretty good. Wizards, actually, wizards yeah, is pretty wizards. hard to beat. Wizards, Just pop, pop a spell on you, or magic. Yeah, yeah. that's true. What yeah. about how does magic? Oh yeah, do anything without a With, wizard? Without a wizard, that's right. Now, as the official, my team, New Orleans Pelicans, <laughs> they've oh got God. that. You're fucked. They've got, they that, they've, got that, <laughs> <laughs> they've got that weird baby that wears a crown. Yeah, yeah, king okay. cake baby. Yeah, you think that baby's gonna win, do you? Who's wanted? No one wants to kill a baby. Yeah, that's true. But that particular baby, I think <laughs> it's people would like to kill it with fire, as the saying goes. Um, my team, the Celtics. That's pretty vague. That's all like. It's like a. Do they a whole have people? someone who dress up, dresses up as a like? What do they do? Their mascot is just like a like a stereotypical Irishman. Like you look at the picture and you can hear it saying "fiddle dee dee" sort of thing. Uh, right. So I'd, yeah. You know the. <laughs> what about <laughs> Mavericks mascots? Mavs man and champ. <laughs> yeah. It's <laughs> good stuff. <laughs> what about Nuggets? Little nuggies. Wow, are they little gold nuggies or? I think chicken, they are gold chicken, nuggies, but chi- they chicken, could be chicken nuggs. Um, geez, it's yeah. There's all that's Mavs man. Oh my god, Mavs man is uh, horrifying. <laughs> wow, With- what, Miami Heat. You know, like, the heat can kill. They can get you. You know, oh, I'm a wizard. Yeah, well, 
you're real hot now. Oh, I'm feeling too tired to- yeah, heat, silent killer. To do anything. It'll get Wizards are like an old guy. Yeah. Dying, they die in heat waves. On Harry Potter. What about Nick's? You know, I learned uh, where, and this is from Bill Bryson, but I learned where Nick's comes uh, from no, recently. I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear it if it's Bill Bryson. <laughs> oh, it wasn't we've Bill all, Bryson. We've all picked one, so okay. there you go. I don't hear another fucking That's word. That's probably not that interesting. Bill Bryson. It's a, it comes from like this. <laughs> okay, talking. no, no, you're right. He just perseveres. Right. Thank you so much, Stephen, Blake, Pete, and David. If you are desperate to know, just Look it up. send Matt a tweet send and me a he'll tweet. let you know. But I do not want to be included in that tweet, so help me I God. Just so it's a weird, like, every, like knickerbockers and everything comes from this book. It's Yeah, it's a strange origin for a word like that. Anyway, um, the next thing we like to do is thank a few of our other fantastic Patreon supporters. Uh, normally, Jess, you come up with a little bit of a game based on the topic at hand. Oh, Yeah. Um, every time we do it, it's like you're learning it's it. It's a new- surprise every time. No, it's it's me going. I've already forgotten the report. Um, and look, a bit of a grim one. Code names. I was going to say code names. Yeah, let's give them code names. Okay. All right. Or their missions or code name, or like who they are undercover, like Erica oh, playing the local yes, weirdo. Let's give them an undercover oh, character. Love it. Can they all be local weirdos? <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, all right. So, if I can kick us off, I'd love to thank from Placelb in maybe Chile, CH, Dave, China. Let's have a look. Placelb. Oh, Switzerland. Switzerland. CH is there. Remember that they're Swiss francs, the money is CHF. Yeah, right. Ah. I'd like to thank from Placelb in Switzerland, it's Ariel Blanc. Oh, great name. Oriol Blanc. What about- What's the- It's Aurelie. Aurelie. Aurelie Blanc. I wonder any relation to Benoit Blanc or whatever his name is. Surely. Benoit. Benoit Blanc. I only ever seen it written down. (laughs) Uh, What about Aurelie is going undercover as Mav's man? Mav's man. The Maverick's Hiding in plain sight there. (laughs) You would would not recognise anyone dressed as that. Yeah, that's true. And it's like- Obviously, Mav's man isn't going to be doing anything wild like that. Although, there is this, that story that came out recently. Did you see that a guy dresses up as a wolf? Uh, he's like this, like a self-funded mascot for an NFL team. He's just in the crowd, but he's always wearing the wolf thing. Apparently, and I haven't looked into it enough, but apparently whenever he was, he would go to all the games, including away games, and uh, it turned out he was robbing a bank on all those trips. They eventually figured out. Oh, they're always near that team's away games. No, I don't. I, I don't know if that's a true story or not. <laughs> if it is, it's probably a, a, great a great topic. Wow. Yeah. And was he robbing it in the wolf costume? Apparently, but I feel like that can't be true. Surely they'd put that together quickly. Yeah, yeah that can't be true. Surely. Um, Can, can't always trust a meme. I was found out with the uh, that Twitter one, the Tetris one. Anyway, thank you so much, Aureli, aka Mavs Man. And uh, I'd also love to thank from Perth in Western Australia, it's Emma Purton. Emma, Emma Purton. So close to Baby Spice. Emma Bunton. True. So, so close. close. Oh, okay. Just Which a couple is actually funny off. that you mentioned that because Emma goes undercover as a baby. Ooh, oh, a king baby no. cake. Just a baby. Wow. At a hospital in a in a maternity ward. Oh yeah. Swaddles herself in one of those coloured blankets that all all babies are swaddled in. Because uh, she suspects that someone like there's a war criminal who's now a maternity ward nurse. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hiding in plain sight themselves. Oh, so bang. she's just a tiny little baby, <laughs> uh, pooping in a diaper. <laughs> 
Not a bad way to go undercover. I wouldn't mind. You it. love the couch, right? Oh my god! Imagine how much Swaddle you love a me cot. Up. Yeah. Feed me every few hours and let me have a sleep. Yeah. Are you kidding me? And Heaven. I don't think a huge baby would get anyone's attention. I would give almost anything to have the opportunity to be put in a little baby carrier, like a baby Bjorn thing, and just carried around. Right, by a by huge like person. Like a giant, yeah. yeah. Like Shaq. I would- Oh, maybe Shaq could do it. Because there are guys big enough to do it. Yeah. I would love that so much. Just yeah. to be like, just curl up. Like have a little nap be carried around. Oh, heaven. <laughs> That's fantastic. If somebody can make that happen, I'll be very happy. I feel like you've gone early on the baby thing because I'd next like to thank from Lake Munmora in New South Wales, Kelly Bub. <laughs> <laughs> I don't get it. <laughs> what do you mean? <laughs> a little bubby, a little bubs. What? <laughs> uh, I'm like, I'm on Mora. Kelly going undercover as a speedboat. Oh, room. Oh. <laughs> I'm not. Have you, have you ever been in a speedboat? You're not checking if it's a person. No, because that's never ridiculous. Checked. Yeah, I've never checked every speedboat I've been on. I've I've just assumed it's a speedboat. From now on, you should be checking. I'll be checking. Wow, that could be Kelly. And why is Kelly going undercover as a speedboat? Because David Hasselhoff <laughs> uh, has, you know, they think that there might be ties to uh, some very shady dealings. Yeah, so uh, it's the speedboat in Baywatch. Yeah. <laughs> Mixed with Kit from Night Rider. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> <laughs> I've been watching a lot of Baywatch lately because- Why? I've, <laughs> I've worked out that my I've got a Samsung TV and it comes with free Samsung it channels. It comes with free Baywatch. It literally does. So, it has like about- a hundred channels. There's a Jerry Springer channel, 24-7, Bondi Vet. That's all that plays on that channel. And one of them is Baywatch. So, 24 hours a day, an episode of Baywatch oh, is that, on TV. It feels like that would be a comforting show. Oh, it's so easy to watch. Well, I'm sure it is. Speaking As they're of- running along in their bay. They made a show called Baywatch Nights, which was like a spooky Baywatch. Do you- I love that as an idea. Because the X-Files was big at the time. Yeah. Right. <laughs> it was Hasselhoff and a local PI sort of- Investigating paranormal crimes is so ridiculous. So weird. I reckon David Hasselhoff or any of the cast of Baywatch would be a great person to be up in a, a baby Bjorn on. Yeah, just not mm. tall enough. Oh, you got to remember, just, I'm incredibly tall. I picture them all to be huge, though. Yeah, but I forget but, TV, movie and TV I'm people also are, are usually smaller. Yeah, I'm also massive. That's true. So, I need somebody to- Hasselhoff height. What about uh, Phelpsy? He had a he had a season on Baywatch, Aussie's own. Oh, that's right, the first season, I think. Yeah. What? Peter Phelps. Peter, Peter Phelps. Phelps is on Baywatch. Yeah, but they, I think he quit because they made him speak in a ridiculous Australian accent. Wow. Right. It was, I think, in my mind, he's always wearing zinc as well, like cricketers do. That sounds about right. Hasselhoff, one meter ninety three, pretty tall. That's not yeah. tall enough. What's that in feet? Uh, six, six four. four. Mm. So nah. you, you, you want like, six more? I need like seven. Okay. okay, so Shaq is seven foot one. Yeah, I'd probably need Shaq. What about that Turkish farmer? I don't. You don't get any taller than that guy. That Turkish farmer. Yeah, tallest man in the world. Right. Okay. Maybe just say what about the tallest <laughs> man in the world? Because how's Dave supposed to Google Turkish well, farmer? Dave knows the. Did you know, Dave? Guinness- did you know? He knows the Guinness Book Dave, back to front. Look at me. Did you know who we saw? Dave, about? look Dave. at Jess. Tell her. Tell her that you knew. You didn't know, did you? And it's okay to say it. Don't let him bully you. I didn't know that. Is he a farmer? Okay. Well, see, Dave's going to correct me here. But he's Turkish, right? <laughs> the tallest living man, Sultan Kosin, born 1982 in 
Turkey. Okay. okay. 251 um, centimetres is eight foot two. Yes, that's what I need. Okay. That's it. Because I want to dangle. I don't want to just like, I don't want my feet to be dragging along the ground or like close to, you know. I want to be high up. Anyway. Occupation? Farmer. Thank you. Congratulations. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. He was unable to complete his education because of his height. He instead worked part time as a farmer. Too tall to learn. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Can I thank some people, please? Yeah, that'd be great. I would love to thank from Hawthorne in Victoria. Emma Lavender. Oh, fantastic name. Love to welcome Emma over from the uh, from the Do Go On website. Mm, welcome. Welcome across. Um, and thank you for going undercover as- A telephone pole. As a telephone pole. Wow. They're yeah. everywhere. And you mm. never really pay that much attention to No, to you can do. move around. Yeah. So, that's really cool. But it is tiring because she's got to hold up all those wires. There's so many of them. Could probably- and kids eh. come along and f- throw their shoes over the top. And she's like, fuck off. But you can probably eavesdrop on the phone calls easily. Oh, yeah. Yeah, right. Yeah. That's true. Is that? Do you think that works? You just by holding the wire? Yeah, if you put the wire to your ear, you can hear okay. everything. <laughs> it's like Try the old it cups, next time. Two cups and a string. <laughs> just hold your, he- your ear up to a wire. Well, that's how telephones work. It's yeah. just basically an elaborate cup and string thing. <laughs> <laughs> cup and string thing. Uh, I'd also love to thank from London in Great Britain, Abel Bracegurgle. Bracegurgle. Well, that's an incredible name. I love that, Abel. Bracegurgle. Uh, Abel going undercover as I am thinking. The spirit of Tasmania. Oh, Wow. <laughs> Yeah. The overnight ship. Yes. From Geelong these days down to Tasmania. Yeah. yeah, what do you think about that change? I don't like it. I don't know why. It's quite a drive to get to it now, but I guess not for people in Geelong. Yeah, that's right. And also, <laughs> I've never been on it, so I don't know why I had an opinion. I Yeah, I think it was just Doesn't cool matter. to see it, I guess, vaguely near where you live, Dave. Yeah, now this, instead there's a lot of cruise ships. Oh, instead. is that why they've moved it off? I'm not sure if they're taking advantage. It feels like, yeah, I see cruise ships all the time down there. Because, yeah, I, I, I did catch it a few times and I love it, but the flights are just so much cheaper now. I know. I, I looked at doing it because I thought that would be a really fun sort of holiday. Take the car. We could take the dog. Take the car on holiday. Take the car <laughs> on holiday. holiday. The car deserves a holiday. Uh, but it is so expensive. Mm. Wow, I didn't realise. I think you've really got to be going down there for quite a while. Yeah. And wanting to drive around the whole island. Yeah. Or, like, my dad would go down on the motorbikes and so they'd take their motorbikes yeah, with them. That fun. makes sense. But- I could hire a car and fly and it would be – and put the dog in a boarding kennel in Melbourne and it would be yeah. so much cheaper. I am so sorry to Abel Brace Girl that we're talking about you this one. No, I mean, I think – It's not It's not the ship itself. It's the, you know, whoever's doing the ticketing. Yeah. yeah. Drop the prices. I mean, it's – yeah, it's tricky. Cause it's insane. It's, uh, it makes sense that it would cost a lot to have yeah. such service, but yeah. But it's it'd a- be fun. The uh, the Jetstar and stuff must have really stuffed them. Yeah. With the, the cheap flights. Um, finally, for me, I would love to thank from location unknown, so we can only assume deep within the fortress of the moles, I would love to thank Patrick. Oh, Patrick. Oh, Patrick. You know who you are. You but Patrick's are. already very good at this game. No surname. Yes, very difficult no to No address. Hmm. Where, what's he hiding as, Dave? Undercover as a coat hanger. Oh, my God. Oh! Think about it. They're in nearly every house on earth. Yeah. I don't look at them all. You don't look at them all. I'm not checking them. So, Patrick's no. very flexible. Very flexible. Yeah. Wow. A real hook. And, and, and I'm just, it's not just a cheap coat hanger, by the way. I know you're looking at me disappointed, man. It's, it's one of the- <laughs> It's expensive. <laughs> if you saw disappointment on my face, <laughs> you are wrong. 
I loved like, it. Patrick so, the Coat Hanger. Someone who's as good. Oh, that's a good nickname, isn't it? The Coat Hanger. The Coat Hanger. You go, what's that what, What's that for? Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's probably a wrestling move, is it? Yeah. Is it like the like, clothesline? I don't want to find out. <laughs> the clothesline. Is that the Coat yeah. Hanger like a clothesline yeah. sort of move? Well done, Patrick. All right. Well, uh, Dave, do you want to bring this home then? Yeah. Hey, move over, Patrick, in the fortress because there's someone sitting right next to you and they are Tim Hansen. Location Tim unknown. Hansen. Tim Hansen. Well, unlike the village oddball from the story, Tim is hiding as the village wisecracker. He's the Chandler Bing. Yeah. Oh. Could I be any more obvious? <laughs> yeah. You know, because he's not that. He's not conspicuous. He's not inconspicuous. He's conspicuous. He's very conspicuous. He works for a a finance company or something. But nobody would suspect him. He's zinging, he's zanging. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Love it. And I'd like to thank now from Air in Scotland, it is Arvid or Rivid. I reckon it's Rupert. Just looking at his email address. Ah, Rupert. Yeah, looking at that. Rupert or Arvid. Like Arvid, put put together a couple of names there, maybe. And I think that Arvid is going undercover as a microphone, and he could be in this room oh right now. Oh my god, he that's probably so is. Good. Imagine, I mean, doesn't everyone else seem silly now? They're all trying to get intel, but they're like a coat hanger. How conspicuous is the microphone or the notepad going to be hanging off the coat yeah. hanger? Whereas. Just be the microphone. He he is a microphone. He so. is the wire. Yeah. You wearing a wire? I am the I, wire. I, I, I am, am the wire. The, wire. <laughs> <laughs> the coat hanger guy says that as well. Yeah. I am the I am the wire. A wire coat hanger. <laughs> when you said it was a fancy one though, I assume timber. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Beautiful. the timber oh. ones with the little pegs so you can oh. um, clip stuff. You oh know, some God. pants on there. Wow, yeah, a bit fancy. Oh, some trousers. Sorry, a bit fancy, fancy. Yeah, I've dreamt of such things. <laughs> well, one day. One day. Well, everyone else is having to wait uh, a week to hear that shout out here, but Arvid, I'm talking into you right now. <laughs> I once, uh, mum asked me a few years ago what I wanted for Christmas or something, and I said, oh, could use some uh, nice coat hangers, and oh she thought God. it was the funniest and saddest oh, thing she'd ever so heard. It's so sad. <laughs> but it's so practical. It's practical. <laughs> yeah. I'm, like, I'm nah. like, I don't really need anything, but if you really want to get me something, I could. I've, I don't have any good coat hangers. But yeah, it was so. Oh, her reaction so was so sad. funny. She's like, "Oh, Matt! Oh, oh. God!" She's telling her friends. <laughs> he wanted codegas. He's got no interest in this guy. <laughs> this is my most boring child. Oh my God! Thank God I got some others. Oh wow! Thank God I had other kids <laughs> with hobbies that's, and interests. That's funny. This fucking guy just wants codegas. Oh my God! <laughs> uh, finally, I would like to thank from Edinburgh. We're staying in Scotland with. Cordy. 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 Uh, Cordy, of course. Uh, hiding as a parachute. Pigeon. A parachute pigeon. Parachute pigeon. Now, that's one of those pigeons that doesn't have wings. <laughs> Wingless pigeons. They jump can off on- buildings. They can only glide. Yeah. Uh, so, they jump off and then they're where wings should be. They're sort of a- Oh, that's a big, very a good. A bag of uh, feathery skin. Yeah. That just catches <laughs> the wind. <laughs> Beautiful. Can we hear that impression again? Love it. Jess, you're yes. stepping on my toes there. Yeah, yeah, Matt. All right. I'm gonna, I'm gonna call something a fun fact soon. Do you want to have? How about Don't you, you have a go, Matt? Yeah, go on. You do a pigeon noise. Do a pigeon. Well, yeah, but I, I feel like it'd be embarrassing to Jess, but I can. Go on. I'll do a parachute pigeon, please. Because <laughs> specifically, Jess was, Jess was pretty. Mine generic. was generic. Yeah. But you're doing a parachute pigeon, like a, a uh, bag of skin. Yeah, and it's <laughs> in bird form. It's just been created, and it's all right. So picture this: the parachute pigeon has just, just been arrived. <laughs> 
you know, puff. It's puff. 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 It is puff, now. Here it, I am. it exists. <laughs> Didn't exist. Now exists. Puff. Here I am. Is standing on the top of a building, jumping off instantly, and this is my impression of the. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That was perfect. <laughs> Yelling, what am I? <laughs> what am I? Oh. Wow. That makes you think, doesn't it? Mm. Mm. <laughs> so, Jess, don't, don't come at the king. <laughs> <laughs> if you come at the king, you'll get the claws. <laughs> <laughs> what, the king's got claws? Uh, yeah. Well, thank you to Cordy, Arvid, Tim, Patrick, Abel, Emma, Kelly, other Emma and Oralee. And the last thing we like to do is welcome a few people in our Triptych Club. Now, this is a club very exclusive to our supporters who've been on the shout-out level or above for three straight years. And uh, it's a bit of theatre of the mind. Uh, I'm standing on the door. I've got the, what do you call it, clipboard. I've got the guest list. Three names on it this week. I'm going to read out a name. Dave's standing on the stage. He's the MC for this evening. And uh, he's going to hype you up, mm-hmm. do a bit of weak word play. The crowd's going to go wild. Jess is there uh, hyping up Dave, <laughs> making him feel better about the sort of the You're pretty ordinary stuff he does. Such a dick. Uh, Jess is also behind the bar. She's yep. normally come up with a bit of a cocktail. We or- have bottomless margaritas. Oh, oh. But some of them <laughs> are poisonous. And we do have a selection of hors d'oeuvres, just like, you know, I just got some catering in, so it's just like a sort of party platter kind of thing. But I've put little bombs in some of them. Uh, little bombs of flavour? Well, explosive with flavour. Okay, yes. yeah, fantastic. <laughs> and explosives. Okay. And Dave, you've normally booked a band? I have booked a band. You're never going to believe this. Um, unfortunately, he <sighs> was uh, sick last week. But we've got him this week performing his hit one day in September. Mike Brady no. is dropping by. We are Does he do gigs other than grand final? He works one day a year and cleans up that guy. Wow. I was once at uh, the Sandringham Hotel, just like a pokey sort of pub with a you know sports bar. But they used to turn it into a bit of a club on Friday nights. Hell yeah. And then the, uh, the TAB section was the band room and the, a cover band would play. But I was there one night. And Mike Brady came on to sing what? his two big hits. Wow. Yeah, it was pretty sick. I'm guessing he's just going around doing that, getting like 500 bucks cash or whatever. Yeah. Just going pub to pub. Incredible. Yeah. That's good stuff. And now here he is live. <laughs> so good. I'm so glad our patrons get to uh, see him. All right. So, we ready to go? Here we go. Yes, let's rock. All right. First up, we've got from- Burnaby in Canada. It's Jammy. We're 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 Jammy. Bamali. Bamali. Come on. Fantastic stuff. Welcome in, Jammy. Also from Coburg, just up the road in Australia. It's Alex. Well, I was going to have a bad day, but then this guy or girl came in and said, "No Berg." Rhymes with Coburg. Not much to work with here. Just a first name. Hell yeah, Alex. You are the best, Alex Triple X, Triple Threat. And finally, from Ashford in Great Britain, it's Elliot CM. More like from Cashford. Yeah. And then I get one of those money guns from rap film clips. Cold, hard, cash. (laughs) From rap film clips. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome in Elliot, Alex, and Jeremy. That's the widest thing you've ever said. Hey, I guess I I know rap. From rap videos. (laughs) 
Uh, thank you so much for all your support over the last three years. Now, that brings us to the end of the episode. Anything we need to tell people before we go, Bob? Just that we love them. They can find us at Do Go On Pod across all social media. DoGoOnPod.com is our website and that they can suggest a topic. Dave, boot at home. We'll be back next week with another episode. But until then, I'll say thank you so much for listening and goodbye. Bye. 